passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Long and Winding Royal Road, our look back at the uh, 90s era of all Japan pro wrestling, uh, the greatest period of in-ring professional wrestling, in my opinion, in the history of the entire sport industry, genre, whatever you want to call it. I, I, don't, I don't judge. I think of it as a sport, especially when it comes from, from Japan. But um, this is episode 20, and as you know, we do... Uh, biography episodes every fourth episode of this show um and so we've uh, done misawa kawada kobashi and with episode 16 we finished up the four pillars with with akira tawe so that brings us to episode 20 and who could we possibly talk about but uh the person that's considered the the fifth pillar of uh, of the royal road era of all japan pro wrestling and that would be jun akiyama the man known as uh, Blue Thunder. I think he's kind of nicknamed Blue Thunder, you know, like like Ken Kobashi's like nickname was Orange Crush. And, and you know, and Kawada was, you know, Dangerous K. Tawe was Dynamic T. I think Misawa did have a nickname, but it's, it's not not really commonly used. I always forget what his nickname might have been. But uh, maybe maybe our, our guest today will, will help us uh, talk about that. But um, joining me today is someone who I know is one of the biggest Jun Akiyama fans on, on the planet. And so I thought, who better, who better to come out and talk, to Jun, talk about Jun Akiyama with me than uh, my former co-host from Japanese Audio Wrestling, and that is Jojo Remy. Jojo, how are you? I'm doing great, WH. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, I'm enjoying uh, talking with you off the air. Uh, we were talking about maybe uh, meeting up sometime in the, the coming year. In, in the United States somewhere. We'll see, see where COVID is by that point. Hopefully we can make that happen. But um, yeah, I think just uh, I'm overall pretty good. I, I was actually just really enjoying doing the research for this episode because um, I've always been a big fan of, of Jun Akiyama, like from the get-go when I started watching All Japan and getting tapes and actual tapes, like VHS tapes of, of the stuff from like, uh, I'd say from like 90, 97, 98 on. And so like, he's pretty much in the mix at that point. I'm like, this guy in the blue, he's pretty awesome. Who's this guy. And then, and I'll talk a bit more about like what appeals to me about him, but let, let's talk about you. Like, what is, what is your history of fan? Cause I know you're a big fan of Gene Akiyama. And, and so talk, talk to us about like how you got into seeing him and like what stands out about him for you. Yeah, I mean, I got into All Japan 
would have been, I was in uh, ninth grade, would have been like 1999. So like a little bit after you, but right, you know, in the peak of the, the head drop era in all Japan, really. And obviously like the tapes I was watching weren't super contemporary. Like I wasn't getting the previous week's tapes yet. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously the first match I've talked about before I ever saw was, was a Misawa and Kobashi match, but then just kind of digging into more stuff. Um, really related to Akiyama, you know, he was more like he had more buzz at the time when I was then like going in, digging into to the, the the contemporary goings on in all Japan, you know, right before the Noah split. Um, really sick moveset, obviously, like playing virtual pro wrestling, too, uh, with him is is a delight um, with all the, the cool moves. Um, I think the first match of his I, I saw probably would have been uh, one of the tag, the burning versus, versus uh, Untouchables tag matches. Um, but then obviously, like, I'm a big Noah fan, too. So he was like, you know, the flag bearer for for Noah. A lot of the like Noah versus New Japan stuff centered around him. So his All Japan run, I kind of got in at the very end of it. But um, yeah, for sure. One of my favorite wrestlers ever. Um, a real aggressive wrestler, a real um, fun wrestler to watch and a really fun wrestler to follow throughout his career. Really, it's kind of mirrored my my fandom. So, yeah, I feel a really strong connection to him. He's a great what I call a, a prick wrestler in the sense like he's just an asshole to everyone he wrestles. with. It doesn't matter if they're like veterans or or younger people or his contemporaries. If, if he's wrestling you, he's just going to be really super prickish to you like he'll he'll attack you on while you're if you're in a tag match with him he'll attack you while you're on the apron he'll knock you off the apron he'll um uh you know he just he just doesn't care like he's just goes there and he's he's out there to prove himself especially if he's in there with you know the four pillars masao and kobashi in particular um he's super aggressive i but i i love it when he's in noah and he's just abusing like makoto hashi (laughs) kenta now Michi sure, Marafuji sure. and just like does he he's like he he's kind of reminds me of uh like Jinichiro Tenru in that sense and like kind of like surly early 90s Jumbo Saruta in a lot For of sure. ways. And I think I always like that. Like to me, he's he's very much up there. Like I think the best prick wrestler I've I've ever seen in my life is probably Shinjiro Otani. But like Gene Akiyama is definitely right within the conversation of, of, of being in that, in that top mix of a like great dickhead mean bastard wrestlers that I, that I do actually enjoy watching. Yeah. And Akiyama has like an, an extra gear that I wouldn't necessarily say Otani has in terms of like aggression, right? Like Otani is known for like his passion and his like, you know, uh, cockiness and that sort of thing too. But I think uh, Akiyama has this like extra killer, uh, killer mode basically where he's really like trying to do harm to his opponent which which um is oftentimes uh pretty entertaining yeah he he does really um add this kind of like element of like like targeting a body part like if he if he like hurts your neck he's just gonna go after that neck or if someone in a tag match gets you know uh, like a limb hurt like an arm or a leg or something like that he's just gonna go after it after it after and like one of my favorite things that he he adopted in noah was the uh the guillotine chokehold that kind of really established him over like masawa and kobashi in the 
early shows of Noah. And we'll talk about a bit about that more in depth later on. But I just like the way he cranked that on. Yeah, beautiful. I was like, oh, he's actually choking these guys up, looks like. So it's it's it is something that that is a very appealing about him is like his aggression and like how he's just just vicious in the ring. But um, very nice man in person. I, I got to meet him once at an all Japan show before uh, in, I think, 2018 or 2019. And, pretty sure uh, I took a picture of you. I think you took the picture. I bought a T-shirt from him and then yeah. uh, speaking English a bit to him, and he was like, "Oh, he, he appreciated like you know, oh, he likes it when I think he, he appreciates like when people who aren't Japanese come to the shows as, as well to to like and buy merchandise directly from him. So that's nice. So it's one of my prized possession. He autographed it for me, so I'm, I'm really happy about that T-shirt. But very nice man in person. So yeah, I can't say. Uh, thankfully, I never got in the ring with him. He never abused me. In the ring so <laughs> but we'll talk about gene akiyama and we'll talk about other things we like about him and we'll give some match recommendations and and basically we're gonna take a look at his entire career for the most part uh focusing heavily on his early stuff in the uh, the first kind of 10 years of his career in in all japan but also and a significant part of his peak years were in in pro wrestling noah so we'll be looking at that as well and then his return Tall Japan, and then subsequently, like where he is right now, which is in of all places DDT, and and uh, I don't, I didn't, I didn't necessarily see that coming, like you know that he would end up there. I always thought if he's going to leave all Japan, he was going to go back to pro wrestling Noah. What did you think about that, JoJo? Yeah, I mean, I think we got that news kind of like towards the end of twenty. 19 was it that like he was potentially going to be headed to WWE right to do some sort of like coaching gig like uh, you know presumably the gig that that Hideki Suzuki ended up getting I don't know um so my 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 assumption is that all Japan was not doing well enough financially for him to hang around I guess I don't remember if cyber agent had already purchased Noah at the time but I think you know DDT made sense from a financial perspective for, for him. And I think he's really uh, been a great addition to, you know, one of my favorite parts of DDT. I'm not a huge DDT fan, but he definitely makes it more enjoyable for me. Mm. Well, we'll talk a bit about that again later on as we, as we get into his career, but uh, let, let's talk about Gene Akiyama. He was born uh, October 9th, 1969 in Izumi city, which is located in the Osaka prefecture. Uh, he is listed as being 1.88 meters or six feet, two inches. And as uh, his weight is listed as being 110 kilograms or 240 pounds. It's funny though, Jojo, like I'm, we were talking about temperatures earlier and I'm very much a metric person. So I use Celsius and obviously you're in the United States and you use Fahrenheit, but like we, in Canada, we, we do tend to use like feet and pounds a lot more than than we do like meters or kilograms for height and weight and i think it has more to do with the fact that like you know we get a lot we do so much trading with the united states that it's it's easier just to keep those dimensions for like say shoes and and other items that that require like knowing the dimensions in terms of like you know height and weight and stuff like that but i i do prefer myself i do prefer using like feet inches um, pounds it just i can visualize it a lot better than kilograms or meters even though i i did live in japan for 10 years and it's all metric over there yeah i mean it's funny from obviously i'm much more comfortable with with uh you know pounds and, and feet and inches and that sort of thing but in terms of metric i think i i do understand it in the context of 
wrestling, particularly heavyweight and junior heavyweight weight classes, right? So 1.88 meters would, you know, he still wrestles today, obviously, but, you know, um, he was very tall for, for, um, he would be very tall if he were a wrestler debuting today. Let's put it that way. Um, there's not that many 188 centimeter uh, Japanese wrestlers with his type of profile that are debuting. And I mean, obviously wrestlers were a little bit taller back then, but it was, uh, you know, he's a big guy, definitely a big guy. You met him in person. Yeah. I met him and I met him in person when he's older and like, you know, not necessarily going to the gym as much. And he, he's still a very like just naturally big framed uh, human being. So I can only imagine like how much bigger he was when he was like, hitting the gym really hard in, in like the, the late nineties and, and in the early two thousands and things like that. But um, yeah, um, as a, as a, as a young child, he got into wrestling uh, as, via his grandfather um, uh, who was a fan of all Japan pro wrestling. And when he said one of his earliest memories uh, as a fan of wrestling was seeing a jumbo Suda wrestle in the seventies. And uh, I think that's kind of cool because like, you know, like we'll talk a bit about, the the idea that when he debuted in all japan after his training he he was very very much compared to jumbo suruda yeah jumping knee right that's probably a big part of it and the amateur background um, i just think just like his natural aptitude to wrestling you know was yeah like that's true for sure was something to that he, they people were like yeah he's he's like you know, like Jumbo, when Jumbo came, came along, like he trained with like first, like with Baba. And then he was sent to, 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 I think Amarillo or he was sent to Texas to train with the Funk brothers. And, and they just, just like, he took to, to wrestling, like a, like a fish does to water. And, and same thing with, with like Jun Akiyama, which we'll talk about as well. Um, but yeah, he, 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 uh, he, it's always been like part of his life wrestling as, as a fan, not, not so much as like, I don't get the impression he was obsessed with wrestling. He just enjoyed it. He saw it and he was like, oh, I, that's, that's fun. It never, it never occurred to him to become a wrestler until later in his life, which we'll talk about. It's a very funny story uh, about that. Um, as a student in, in school, he was a very athletically inclined person. He was uh, in junior high school. He was on the swimming team. And I actually read this very funny story that was translated from uh, his biography on Japanese Wikipedia, where like before, like, he didn't like the feel of water on his head. Like someone said he'd wear a, like a bathing cap, even when he was just washing his face or something like that. Until one day, I think one of his parents like just said, you're going, you're, you're going to learn how to swim and threw him into a pool. And then he just got over it. So to the point where like, Oh, this is not so bad. So he joined the swimming team in, in junior high school. And then when he went to high school, apparently there wasn't that much active, like activity for a swim team to so he thought, oh, I'll get into freestyle amateur wrestling and do judo. So that's those were the sports teams he was involved with in high school. And then he moves to Senshu University in Tokyo. He was a member of the amateur wrestling team uh, in, in university. Yeah, a very uh, prestigious uh, wrestling team at that, right? Oh, yeah. So like. Uh, the the alumni of the Senshu University wrestling team includes Riki Choshu, uh, Hiroshi Hase, and uh, Manabu Nakanishi, and I. One more person was in there, like one of his contemporaries. Mm-hmm. Um, I forget now. I forget who it was. I it was uh, Tsuyoshi Kosaka, who's Tsuyoshi, a, a, yeah. a rings fighter. Yeah, 
that's that, that's why I don't remember because like he's more in like, like the shoot style. Yeah, he, he's sure. quite famous as a as a as an MMA fighter. But uh, Nakanishi, oddly enough, was like his his senpai in uh, on the team because when Akiyama was in his first year, uh, Nakanishi would have been in his fourth year university and his fourth year on the team. Um, and he he said like Nakanishi was like really kind senpai to him. Like he you know he you know, he. I think most senpais are like, you know, always trying to push their co-highs or juniors. And, but he said he, I don't think he gets, I don't think he'd get the impression that he was ever like, kind of like bullied or hazed by, by Nakanishi. He, so he's very fond of him from those times, uh, which is funny. Cause like they would end up like, you know, uh, wrestling each other during these uh, times that he would inter- do interpromotional, like Noah versus new Japan stuff in, in the, you know, in the mid mid two thousands and stuff like that. For sure. And I think teamed or tagged with maybe six men later, like, you know, in the last five years or so towards the end of their careers as well. As uh, Akiyama was teaming a little bit with Nagata too. Yeah. Well, I, I want to talk a bit about Nagata and Akiyama a little later on, but like, I, I think you have the, the connection they, that Akiyama and Nakanishi had from their university days, but I think it's just strengthened that because of, you know, Akiyama's in, very interesting relationship and friendship with Yuji Nagata, which we'll, we'll talk a little bit later on. Uh, remind, if I don't get to it, remind me to talk about it. <laughs> okay. We'll do. We'll do. One other thing we didn't mention. Shares the birthday with John Lennon. Does he? He does. So obviously holds a, another special place in my heart because of that. There you go. Jojo being a, a massive Beatles fan. And uh, also Gene Akiyama fan. So it's, it's a, what a, what a wonderful coincidence that they, that they share the same birth date. Um, and I think, uh, I think actually Nakanishi was his roommate his freshman year. So think about that, right? Like senpai, captain of the team, you're a freshman and you're sharing a room with this guy and you still have nothing but good things to say about him. It's, it speaks volumes about the kind of guy that Nakanishi is. I get the feeling. I was, I've always got the feeling that Nakanishi is probably a pretty nice guy. You know, he never struck me as like a, a prick wrestler when he was when he was wrestling. He just like he's. I mean, let's be honest. He's he's not he's not that great to be honest. He's okay. He's at his best. He's okay, but um, never never a, an asshole like Akiyama or or Shinjiro Otani in the ring or Kenta. Kenta is another great example of a of a prick wrestler that I love yeah. to watch. Um, yeah. So in uh, his first year, uh, he he was the All Japan Student. Uh, champion for amateur wrestling uh, in university. And then uh, by the time he gets into his fourth year, he becomes the captain of the team. So being roommates with Nakanishi uh, was a, you know, great learning experience for him. Yeah. It rubbed off on him and he ended up uh, leading the team as well. So I think, you know, there's a lot to be said for just like how many wrestlers around that time were becoming professional wrestlers too. I think he competed against, uh, Tamon Honda, who obviously he ended up wrestling with a lot in, in all Japan and Noah too. Um, but yeah, he was the, you know, the captain of a very competitive team, which, uh, you know, says a lot about his, his uh, athletic ability. And it was during this time where, you know, he's showing a lot of success as an amateur wrestler that he was scouted 
by All Japan Pro Wrestling in a very interesting way. And so from my research, a man by the name of uh, Kenshiro Matsunami, who was the head coach of the wrestling club at Senshu University, uh, told Akiyama one day, hey, wear a suit and come to the capital Tokyo hotel in uh, Asakusa. And uh, he didn't know why. So he, he goes, he puts on a suit, he goes to this hotel. And uh, he, what he didn't know was waiting to meet him at the hotel was one giant Baba and uh, his wife, Motoko Baba, who were there because they were interested in recruiting him for, for all Japan for wrestling. And that's, uh, it, you know, very smart of Baba to put like, you know, make friends and, and put on the payroll, the, the, the coach of the wrestling team at this very prestigious university. Yeah. I mean, you got to think it has something to do with the fact that Choshu and Hase went there for sure. Um, but yeah, imagine that walking into Tokyo hotel and just seeing Baba saying they're probably like, if not smoking a cigar, definitely holding one, um, which obviously Akiyama likes to partake in too these days, but, uh, yeah, probably quite the sight to see. And the craziest thing to me is that like, I've been to that freaking hotel. Like imagine if I were just in Japan, you know, 20 years earlier than I was, I could have actually run into that kind of stuff happening in real time. It, it, it would have been oh, a, a very surreal scene. For sure, for sure. For sure. Um, so when Ricky Choshu, speaking of Ricky Choshu, when he heard that All Japan had scouted Akiyama, he asked Hiroshi Hase, hey, why didn't you try to recruit this guy for from New Japan? And so it's just like, I think Hase's response was like, um, hey, like Baba's got the connections over there, man, not us. What do you want me to do? So, uh, which is funny because Hase would eventually, you know, go join All Japan in a part-time basis after he leaves New That's Japan. That's right. Had a big match with Akiyama at the Tokyo Dome. He did, yes. Um, so, you know, so he gets he gets scouted. He he's he's still not sure about whether he wants to go into pro wrestling or not as a full time job because he's still in university. But he 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 has this, this this epiphany kind of when he's on a bus one night, like in, in going through Tokyo, and and on this bus with him is this drunk salary man who is who is like holding on to one of the, the bus straps that you use, like, you know, to keep your balance when you're standing on a bus. And this guy's holding on to that. He's drunk. He's asleep and he's drooling. And he, and, and Jack Yama just looks at this guy and thinks, I do not want to end up like that. I don't want my life to be that. So that that's what prompts him to go into professional wrestling. And, and, you know, to be honest, Jojo, like, I, I have worked with, you know, as an English teacher, I've worked with many, you know, salarymen as my students. And I've, I've ridden the, the, the trains at night many times in Japan, whether in Tokyo, Osaka or wherever. And I have seen similar situations, like, you know, sites like that. And I was just thinking, man, I am lucky. I have never had to have that kind of schedule or have that kind of pressure on my life where I want to get drunk right after work. <laughs> And then just go home drunk like that. And so, you know, I, I, I can't like, I can't blame Akiyama for not wanting that because it, it would be so prevalent, especially in the, you know, like at, in the time he's growing up in the seventies and eighties. For sure. And that, you know, that culture still exists for sure. I'll never forget. I once saw a guy in a suit, definitely, you know, not didn't make the bus, you know, was probably forced to kind of, you know, wander about all night. Anyway, he was wearing a suit, sitting on the sidewalk. His knees in his suit were both like blown out because he probably fell. 
Um, and he just like was sleeping with his hand in his head, with his head in his hand. Um, and I was like, yeah, this is it's a rough life, you know, working hard, going out to drink every night with your coworkers or your boss, and sometimes not even making it home. Yeah, I, I just, I'm so thankful. I, that was never my life in Japan. But, um, you know, so he goes into, so Akiyama goes into the All Japan Dojo. He's trained by Giant Baba, uh, Ken Kobashi, and uh, Jumbo Suruda, three men who would be very important to his life, especially uh, Kobashi. They are pretty much tied at the hip throughout most of Akiyama's career. Um, and uh, there's a funny story, like, you know, he, he starts training in the dojo and, and Giant Baba runs into him and, and uh, you know, Akiyama likes to wear his shirts untucked. Whereas Giant Baba comes from an era, you know, where, you know, you, you tuck your shirt into your, the hem of your pants, Jojo. And so he said to him, hey, you should tuck in your, your shirt into your pants. And Akiyama did it, but then he said, you know what? I don't like this. It looks better. Like it, this looks fine. It's more comfortable. And then Bob was just like, you know what? You've got, you got the strength of your convictions. You can, you can do that. But, but this is something that, that was very, you know, popular with a lot of all Japan wrestlers of his, of, of that era. And then later on, even into the two thousands, these kind of traditions are like kind of passed down to like the two thousands era as well. Where like a lot of, if you see a lot of casual photos of the, the guys in Noah, the young guys, in Noah, a lot of them, will be wearing their shirts tucked into the, the hem of their shirts, except maybe like more casual photos. But, but I think that's kind of a cool thing. It's like when you run the ropes in all Japan, if you're an all Japan dojo guy or a Noah dojo guy, you hit the ropes with your side rather than your back. Yeah. A lot of that stuff was passed on by Bob. I'm assuming. I wonder how much of it was influenced by just, you know, his unique size like how they used to wear their, their tights higher up on their waist, you know, covering their belly button or whatever. Um, but for sure, you can tell that Baba played a big role in developing uh, the person that Akiyama became, um, you know, as a wrestler and a man, for sure. Uh, Baba also told him, because he wanted to push him as like a super baby face in the company. Like I, I, I do get the feeling like he is being groomed to be like the next guy after uh, Masawa as the, as the ace of the company. Um, but he told him, don't do things like, you know, like, like when your porn's on the ground, don't stop on them. But like Akiyama was like, no, I, that's, I like that to do that. So he did that as well. So, you know, obviously, you know, Akiyama respected Baba. Baba was his trainer, his boss. And like, the, he was a legend, of course, as well. But he's just, Akiyama was like, I think he got the sense, like, you know, Baba likes me enough where I can just get away with small things like not tucking my shirt into my, my pants and, and stomping people while they're on the ground. Yeah, I mean, I think it speaks about how unique of a prospect and like kind of a supernova, as they say, Akiyama was that the Baba gave him a little bit of leeway because, you know, you know, uh, Masao Inoue didn't get that same type of wiggle room, though he did debut around the same time. Oh, what, what Masa, Masawa? Masao, well, like Masao's as uh, Akiyama. Misa, Misao Inoue, the dude who does the Argentine uh, oh. backbreaker. One of the worst wrestlers ever. Exactly. But debuted around the same time as Akiyama, right? So. Yeah, but Akiyama, like, you can tell probably, like, this guy's, this guy's got something. Masao Inoue is like, yeah, he's uh, mid-carter for life. Like, we don't yeah. have to, to get yeah, him. Yeah, that's my anyway. point, right? It was yeah. clear that Akiyama was headed for the main event. For sure. For sure. Yes, yes. Um, Akiyama would make his wrestling debut on uh, September 17th 
1992 against uh, Ken Kobashi. I believe it's in Corican Hall. Which it is, is in Corican Hall, and it's a semi-main event of the show, which is huge for a debut. Oh, yeah. It, it, right away, it, it, he, they're just telling you, this guy is special. Keep an eye on him to the fans. And, uh, and yeah, it's, it's great. I think it's so appropriate that the person he's, he's debuting against is Kobashi, one of his trainers, but also like someone who, you know, as, as, as a rival and as tag team partners and as, as a friend in real life, like they're so close. These two it's, it's, if you look in their, their kind of relationship as a whole professionally and personally, it's just one of those things that makes you like feel that, you know, professional wrestling isn't as always as scummy as it, it usually is. And there's like some great, beautiful things that come out of it. And I think the friendship and the, and the, the professional relationship of Kobashi and Akiyama is one of those things. Yeah. That's been one of the highlights of his DDT run is like Kobashi gets to come out and do, you know, you know, weird stuff in the Tokyo Dome when they do like their, their street wrestling in the Tokyo Dome. He's on commentary all the time. And you can just, when he talks about Akiyama, you can hear the, the love that he has for him and the respect that he has for him, for sure. Um, there is a lot of expectations placed on him. As, as you, you know, as Jojo said, he debuted in Cork and Hall in the semi-main event of a card against Kendo Kobashi. Um, but a lot of early comparisons were made to Jumbo Saruta, uh, as we were talking about before. Um, the jumping knee, he adopted that. Um, and just like a lot of like some of the suplexes Jumbo would use, like the backdrop driver and things like that, he would he would also use, but not not as much as like some other suplexes he would develop later on himself. Um, it's been said, but like many wrestling journalists, I remember like when when Kurt Angle got debuted on WWF television and he was just like just a natural at it. Of course, like he Kurt Angle's super famous for being an Olympic gold medalist, but that doesn't always translate to being a good professional wrestler, but he was like just a naturally good professional wrestler as well. Like a lot of people would compare Kurt Angle. Like they're saying he's as good at wrestling this early in his career as June Akiyama was like, and so you got to keep in mind Akiyama was before Kurt Angle. So that's not Akiyama is not being compared to Kurt Angle, obviously, but I just thought it was cool. Like, Oh yeah. There are some people who are just naturally good right away at professional wrestling. Kurt Angle is one of them. He's very much like Jun Akiyama in that respect. Yeah, they share the amateur background, obviously, Angle a lot more, more so. Um, but yeah, for sure, both naturals and uh, we're both quickly among uh, the best in the world, uh, you know, best handful of wrestlers in their company at the very least uh, soon after their debut. So keeping the, the comparisons with uh, Jumbo um, alive here, he when Jumbo was like, you know, you know, having complications with with his with his health and stuff like that, um, they needed to find a new partner for Akira Kitawe and what remained of the Surigun faction. And that person was uh, was Jun Akiyama. He was chosen to be, you know, Tawe's uh, regular tag team partner. Um he would eventually split with Tawe. They didn't really last that long as a tag team, but he would then shift to teaming with uh, someone who's another person he's really closely tied to throughout most of his career in, in different aspects, and that would be uh, Takao Omori. Yeah, I guess Omori would have been the next debut, or maybe did he de- debut before Akiyama? Do you know? I don't remember, but they're pretty much pretty much like, classmates more or less right yeah they're 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 classmates they're of the same generation like you would always put like omori and like 
like and that gamut together, especially if you look Omari at the debuted. So Omari debuted uh, one month after Akiyama, and he was born basically ten days after Akiyama. There, <laughs> there you go. Yeah. I I also get the feeling these two like if they weren't close, like during the Noah days, that they became closer like later on in their in their lives and careers when they're both back in sure. all japan pro wrestling yeah, because omori didn't last very long in noah yeah i always heard like you know like message boards rumors were like because like you know akiyama didn't like him or something like that and i i never understood that because like you know like one thing you look about takao mori if you look at his career when he leaves noah and he's kind of being a freelancer like he, he lands pretty much regularly in in uh zero one at that time and and i thought he was really great fit for zero and i thought he added a lot of like substance to that roster and then he would go work in in uh, new japan being a tag team partner with um with manabu nakanishi as wild child and i just thought and i was like why isn't this guy in a like bigger company i I always thought wow okay you're not no anymore like i would hope i was hoping he'd go back to to all japan like and be a a a top singles guy for them because i think he he had the chops for it yeah, I wonder what, you know, I wonder how, what the connection to to Zero One was at the time. It's kind of random. Maybe, well, I mean, I can just see them like, oh, hey, would you like to come work for us? You're, you're someone he's with a, a name. I think he's Animal Hamaguchi Dojo. So maybe it's because Otani was also Hamaguchi Dojo that they uh, they had a connection, I would assume. Yeah, I, I maybe I should clarify. I think it's either he had... He had Omori had heat, maybe with Akiyama, but I think maybe he had heat with with Takayama. So Takayama didn't want to team with him anymore, and then like maybe it got to the point where Takayama was like, "I don't want to be in the same company as this guy either." And like they saw more value in Takayama than they did Omori or or something like that. I if someone can clarify, that'd be awesome. But um, some there was some heat apparently with somebody in Noah, so he he decided to leave that company. Um, but anyways, like in, in the early days of both Omori and Akiyama's career in, in all Japan, they would become a tag team. Uh, they win the all Asia tag team titles, tag team titles in a tournament final against the, uh, the tag team of the fantastics consisting of Bobby Fulton and Tommy Rogers. And this happened on, uh, January 29th, 1995 and Jojo, they would have, I think the, it still holds to this day, the longest, uh, lasting reign. It, it, it's a you know it's a 1076 days as all asia tag team champions and uh, this would include 12 successful defenses and they would lose the titles on january 9th uh, 1998 so three years later almost to the day to uh, the 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 legendary tag team of johnny smith and wolf hawkfield yeah quite the uh the upset there i mean you know it's funny because this has all happened like concurrently while Akiyama's also doing these main event tags with, with Misawa. Um, honestly, like I had no idea that this, this run for the all Asia's with them was so long, 12 defenses. I think, you know, the all Asia's, uh, you know, in by, by 95, they're kind of an afterthought. Like yeah. when the Can-Ams and Can-Am Express are no longer there being kind of like the perennial champions and like being counted on to have like these awesome, mid-card you know tag team matches like obviously the the legendary match they have with kobashi and kikuchi for those belts but 
like they they are kind of in this time period kind of an afterthought obviously like akiyama's you know more people know him for like the stuff he's doing with masala you know contesting for the all japan world tag team titles and not so much defending these with with omori so like like in your case like you're saying like maybe you might not be the only one who's like oh i didn't know this this rain existed or like he he had this long running tag team with with takao mori so it's it's uh it's interesting but it's not the also, only time oh sorry go ahead also wolf hawkfield better better known as jim Steele in the later part of his career what uh what a career to, in big time uh tag matches in japan this guy had in both companies um really uh doesn't get any recognition for it today but had a good run he did have a good run. I think like after the Noah split, like he's, te- who's he team with George Hines, I think. Right? So, yeah. But he had a team with Bart Gunn too, for a while. Right. Right. Bart Gunn, uh, Mike Barton, Mike Barton, <laughs> that guy, that guy really did well for himself after, after knocking out Steve Williams. He sure did. <laughs> getting I mean, fired. He, had a, he had a pretty decent run in all Japan, then got to work new Japan a bit too. Yeah. I mean, way better than his WWF run. Oh yeah, like, and you know, he got hired because he legit knocked out Steve Williams right. yeah. in brawl for all. And so, like, Baba's like, "Oh, you got fired? Come work for me. I can, I can use that as an angle. I can build you up, like, as a guy who knocked out Steve Williams. He's a legend in this country, for sure, and in that company too. Oh yeah, and then they would obviously work, work. You know, they would do an angle with Williams after he comes back to All Japan as well. Um, but uh, yeah, but it's not his only time he would hold the All Asia Tag Team titles. He would also hold them uh, twice more. Uh, once in 2014 with his uh, longstanding uh, kind of uh, kohai and partner, Yoshinobu Kanemaru. And then in 2018, in a really fun run with, uh, with Yuji Nagata. And I think this is a good time to talk about like Yuji Nagata and Akiyama's relationship, Jojo. Let's do it. It's uh, another love story of uh, Japanese professional wrestling. It is. It is. Like, I I remember when Nagata came back to, to New Japan after his uh, excursion in, in WCW, and he starts very soon after, like, and this is the, like the early 2000s, he starts wearing blue a lot. So I'm like, oh. And then he starts using the Exploder suplex. Yeah. That's one of his signature moves. And you got to keep in mind that the Exploder suplex is a move that was invented Gene Akiyama, and then in the 90s, Gene Akiyama's signature color was blue. And I'm like thinking, is there some kind of connection between these two guys? This is before, like, you know, really the internet and, and the, like wrestling Twitter or even like the message board. So it's like just, you know, as a fan, I'm just left to speculating, but they they would have like, like these you know, comparisons, I think, you know, talked about between them because like, because the use of similar movesets. And, 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 you know, like Akiyam, um, Nagata's use of the color blue for his gear. And then, you know, later on they would meet and it was, it was a big deal. Like what, what was the first time they met? Do you remember? I'm pretty sure the first match that they were in together was the main event of the first zero one show. That's right. Where Nagata's teaming with Hashimoto against uh, Akiyama and his partner would be Misawa. Misawa, yeah. Yeah. And uh, I missed that one. I went to a, a zero one. No, I went to the Noah show, though, in, in uh, 2000 with Misawa and I think it was Rikio, Takeshi Rikio. 
against Hashimoto and someone else. I forget, Ryuji Sai, maybe. Kohei Sato, one of those young boy 01 guys. Alexander but, Otsuka. Was it Otsuka? I, my memory is terrible these days. And I didn't bother looking this up. But Okay, so yes, that was their first match. Uh, they were on opposite sides. And then the first time they teamed, which was another excellent tag team match, was a, was a, a Tokyo Dome match against Hase and Muto. That's that's a, that's that that is like has some wrestling pedigree right there on both sides. Hase Mudo, a legendary tag team in New Japan against uh, against Akiyama and Nagata, two guys who are you know they're kind of similar generations, aren't they? Like they pretty much you know came in, up in wrestling in different companies at the same time. Nagata and Akiyama, yeah, they debuted the same week. There you go. So I, I gotta imagine like like Nagata is watching Akiyama and and vice maybe vice versa. Because I don't I don't necessarily think Nagata's like blowing people away early on in his career. It's no, not until- but he had a he had an even more successful amateur career than Akiyama did. So I'm sure they probably crossed paths back then too. And and a lot of times like wrestlers from either company or like wrestlers from different companies would 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 secretly become friends mm. and, and and have dinner like uh you know very clandestinely like apparently like misawa and mudo were really good friends for a long time but no one knew any of this because like you know you had to keep kayfabe alive because like baba and antonio noki would both blow their blow gaskets if they found out that these two were meeting secretly <laughs> you right. know like we are islands onto ourselves. We do not mingle with the enemy, which would, the, would they would be considered, right? Like all Japan and New Japan, especially. Um, For sure. So I got to, I, I, my headcanon is that like Nagata and Akiyama were like, you know, going out to like a, a, a secure uh, izakaya and just drinking and eating, eating izakaya food until the wee hours and then getting like driven home by by people that they could trust like and and no one would and the press never found out about any of this stuff and 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 baba and Inoki never found out about any of this stuff either i buy it for sure i mean their after that tag that zero one tag their careers were pretty much like would always come back to each other um maybe not so much in the very recent years but you know they would interact a lot after that so, like, Nagata would use, like, the regular Exploder, but he also adopted, like, the wrist clutch version of it. Yeah. Exploder well. of Justice, I think, she, I think he calls it. <laughs> what a great name. What's, <laughs> wait, what? And then, like, like I always love these names. Like, there's, like, Frat Gamma, one of his moves is, is called the Sternness Dust. I love that yeah. name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exploder with justice. That's great. Um, but like also like Akiyama would would adopt the Nagata Lock 2, which is the the cross face from yep. and Nagata Nagata taught it to him. It's like this is how you put it on, you crank it on. And I was like, Oh yeah, I'm gonna use that too. So not as a he never used it as a finisher per se, but he used it to like weaken people if he wants to put on his guillotine choke like later on in his uh, 2000s career. But um, yeah, this run with the all Asia tags though, it was very, very like I thought it was just a fun way to like have have nagata do something because he's being completely neglected in in new japan at the time uh you know and like i always maintain like if there's one veteran dude like you can put if there's two veteran guys you can push 
still in New Japan in 2018. One is Yuji Nagata. The other would be Satoshi Kojima. But, you know, like Nagata would have like a lot more use seen of him like in All Japan or in, in Pro Wrestling Noah in like in, in around this time period. Yeah, and there was a rumor around that time, 2017, 2018, that like because Nagata was so underused that he was just going to go full time with Kojima and Tenzan and Nakanishi to All Japan. Um, obviously, that didn't pan out, but yeah, for sure, uh, I'm a big Yuji Nagata fan too, and I enjoyed those tag matches. Okay, just on that point, I don't think Tenzan would have or Nakanishi would have gone anywhere. To be honest with you, because like I think they're both like toast by then, like and they know yeah. it. Whereas like Kojima, Kojima, I can see like you know what, I I had a nice return. They don't use me. I'm just here to put other people over. And like, like I think it it, it for him, it, like a return to all Japan would have been really fun for him. I, he definitely would have been like, you know, big fish in a little pond. But I think it would have been. It would have been, I think, been great for him, like in ring wise. And then the Gata going somewhere else would have been amazing. Like, especially if he's with like allied with like Akiyama and they're like this veteran team that other younger wrestlers have to overcome. Great. Yeah. Both have- of those guys, uh, Nagata and Kojima, not to get too far off topic here, but had it had both had great singles matches with Yuma Aoyagi in Lionsgate. Um so obviously we could have seen more of that stuff happening if they would have done all Japan. Wow. It was not meant to be neither Lionsgate nor a, nor a relationship between new Japan and then all Japan in like the, the, the 2010s there. Uh, but getting back to Akiyama in, in all Japan in the nineties, he would, uh, you know, oh, or actually later on, but like he would, he like talk about like, you know, things he would go back to. He would also reform his tag team with Takao Mori. And they would hold the All Japan World Tag titles a total of three times, twice in, in 2014 and once more in 2018. And they would be collectively known as uh, Wild Burning, combining their, their tag team names of their, their, their more well-known tag teams with other people. Uh, with uh, with um, Omori, it'd be with like, um, oh, he had two tag teams using the word wild. It was Wild Child with Nakanishi and then uh, Wild wild heart with with manabu soya right get wild get wild oh get wild they had the great theme song i remember you know like yeah so he and then so him and, and of course akiyama's most famous you know tag team was with kobashi in, in burning so that was a that was a fun run they had as 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 tag team again the great idea of like these two veterans who are all japan legends at this point just there to help like be kind of a you know, what are they gatekeepers to the younger, younger generation, but like when they put them over, Hey, it means a lot. So he's always been really good about this, especially in his later career. Um, but back to 1996, Jojo, yeah. uh, during these uh, all Asia tag title reign in 96, Akiyama was picked to be Masawa's new regular tag team partner in super generation army, because Kenneth decided, Hey, I need to get away with you. And I need to start teaming with Johnny Ace. <laughs> yeah, that's ridiculous. It really is. But they had like uh, Get. Was that was that their team? Global, energetic, tough. Yeah. <laughs> with the Patriot, right? With the Patriot, yeah. <laughs> the, the the three most likely people you would you would associate if you're gonna like you know we're gonna get Kenneth Kobashi out of Super Generation Army. We're gonna get him away 
from Akiyama and Masawa. Who's the most like, what, what would be natural? Johnny Ace and in the Patriot. <laughs> but you know yeah. what? That being said, Johnny Ace and Kitakabashi are a fun tag team. They do have really good chemistry with one another as, as teammates. I got I to gotta give them that. So, um, But yeah, so Misawa and Akiyama have like a series of fucking great tag matches with tons of teams. Um, they would win the world tag titles from Kawada and Tawei on May 23rd, 1996, and have uh, two successful defenses with those belts before losing them to uh, Johnny Ace and Steve Williams on September 5th, 1996. Uh, Masawa and Akiyama would uh, have even better like success in the World Tag League, the real World Tag League. They participated twice in 1996 and 1997 and reached the finals both times, but they never won them. They never won the tournament because they were defeated both times by the, the Holy Demon Army of Kawada and Tawei. And both those matches, anytime Kawada and Tawei got in there with Masawa and Akiyama, was fucking great because it's one of the rare times you got to see Akiyama interact with Toshiaki Kawada. Yeah. And those, you know, those tag matches are awesome. Um, that first one, the one in Sapporo that was the in May 96, that was Akiyama's first uh, world tag challenge. And he got the pin on Kawada in that match. Apparently, like I was reading, uh, I was reading that, like, someone asked him, what do you think about, what did you think about Kawada? And he said, oh, during the Royal Road, Road era, I hated him. He, he, like, he didn't, we didn't like each other. And, like, he beat the shit out of me. Yeah. Whenever Recently, I, I saw him, I saw him talking to uh, Takagi and Ishii from DDT, and he said the most painful move that he would take was a spin kick to the head, which is obviously a Kawada thing. So I think that had lasting impressions upon him still today. I would I would hope that they're, they're uh, not, uh, you know, uh, they don't hate each other anymore. It's like, at least be like, oh, hi. If they see each other, it's like, oh, it's nice to see you again. Nice to see you, you know, and, and just be cordial at the very least. But I don't know. I don't know if he's ever done one of those, like, uh, talk battles with Kawada on, like, a Holy War show or anything like that. I don't think he has. Um, I know Kobashi has done it with both. But, yeah, it's an interesting uh, pairing. But, yeah, these tag matches, they they were great together. I I... I kind of like fantasy book if like the split never happened that my God, what, like, what a, what a, a pairing the Kawada and Akiyama would have made. The grumpiest. The oh, grumpiest they, yeah. tag team. That, that would have been, that would have been great. But um, yeah, it, it is, it is quite magical. I'm, I'm really sad. You don't get like a series of really great high-end um, singles matches with Akiyama against Kawada because like he has obviously he has those with Misawa and Kobashi and Spades and and to some lesser degree a, a bit with with Tawe but he doesn't really have like a series of them like where you can say that's that's a that's a match of the year contender that's match of the year contender with Toshiaki Kawada which is I think unfortunate for sure you know I think uh to that point also about you know Akiyama not maybe not having the fondest memories in that same interview with Takagi and Ishii, he also mentions that he hated being in the champion carnival because it was so taxing on his body. Um, I think he only missed it one year due to injury while, you know, in his initial all Japan run, but uh, yeah, we would, we would have, you know, I guess really what we have is these tag team matches to, to think of what could have been between Akiyama and Kawada. There you go. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, talking about like like uh, like you know having a you know, getting beat up in the ring and things like that. Like I remember I read something where like you know, Akiyama revealed during like a, a, a 2009 seminar seminar he was part of in, in at a university that you know like by the time like around the time he's like 27 years old, so around 1996 1997, he's he's like dealing not only with like the the injuries that come with working the Royal Road style. But he's also suffering from panic attacks a bit at this point because like he's getting this the the he's like being like chosen to be like, okay, you're gonna eventually take over from Masao. And this gets, you know, exasperated in 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 Noah, especially after the death of like of Masawa and like the like the lingering, you know, health issues of Kenna Kobashi, where it's like, okay, you have to take over this. Apparently, these are things that he had all like had to deal with on top of his, his, um, his physical injuries. So it, it's, it's really amazing to think about, like you watch him around this time, like that, like, you know, with his mental health and his physical health are both like at, at kind of low ebbs in, 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 in like, in a lot of respect compared to like people who might be his contemporaries or people who are older than him. Yeah. Around this period, you know, he do, he did look a little skinny still, uh, 96, 97, you know, he's really tall. So he's a little, a little lanky at this time. Um, but it's amazing. You wouldn't know that he was, you know, struggling mentally because he was having amazing matches. Um, so it's, it's after, after, after a couple of years of being Masawa's tag partner, he shifts his alliance from Masawa to, to Kenna Kobashi and form the uh, tag team slash unit of burning and, and Jojo, like outside of the Holy Demon army, this is probably my favorite tag team of this era. Just I thought Kobashi and and Akiyama stylistically, um, historic. Like if you look at their historical connection, personal connection with one another, and just aesthetically, they were such a natural fit with one another. Yeah, for sure. I, I completely agree. I'm a huge huge burning fan uh and obviously even on the opposite sides of the ring uh i don't know if we'll talk about it much but like kobashi's uh triple crown defense against akiyama in july 1998 is literally my favorite match ever um so i'm a big fan of the chemistry that these guys have together i'm a big fan of the tag team matches that they had against the untouchables misawa and ogawa um and like because of their relationship like that also creates uh you know an attraction for me towards guys like kanemaru even guys like kentaru shiga um you know anybody associated with burning for me gets um a special level of interest so yeah i'm completely on the same page with you there it's it's interesting to see like if you talk about the untouchables which is the tag team asawa would form after akama with yoshinari agawa yeah. who was a, who was a, you know, in the junior heavyweight league before moving up to becoming like a, like quote unquote, a heavyweight. I don't think he ever was truly a heavyweight, mm. but he, he was like Masawa's guy. He's like, Masawa said, I'm, he's going to be my tag team partner. Cause I really like him. He's an excellent wrestler. Um, and, and like, kind of like they're trying to develop a very strong rivalry between Ogawa and Akiyama that would, that would carry on like, you know, play into like their relationship in the rivalry in, in wrestling Noah. Um, I remember like they're doing like they're, they're doing, I see, I get this tape where they're doing this thing where 
okay, we're going to have a series of matches between untouchables and burning. And, and so they have to draw, like draw these balls out and like inside the balls, they open them up. It's like a gotcha, gotcha machine kind of thing, but it's mm-hmm. just from a, from a basket and inside is the name of your opponent who you're going to fight on that show. And like, uh, Akiyama gets Ogawa <laughs> just throws the ball down in anger because <laughs> he wanted Misawa, right? Yeah. He wanted Masao. He just throws it down. He's like pissed off. And Ogawa, he knows immediately, you pick my name, you motherfucker. He just like goes to confront him. And it, the heat between these two is so, so, so hot and so thick. It's, it's great. I just, I just, one of my favorite, I, I got to see if I can ever find that, that clip. Like, I don't know if I can ever find it on, on, uh, I might, it might, have been, it might be on a DVD I have as opposed to a tape. If it's on tape, I'm, I'm, there's no no chance I could, I don't have a VCR anymore, but um, yeah, just they they always they've had a good rivalry as well over the years, for sure. I mean, obviously, um, spilled into Noah and resulted in in uh, Ogawa winning the GHC heavyweight title. Um, but I think you know what gives Ogawa or gave Ogawa so much credibility at the time is those interactions with Akiyama, just because Akiyama was you know the chosen one to some extent, like around this time, they weren't really using like the four pillars terminology that much because Akiyama had ascended to that, that level where they were kind of calling them like the power five uh, go kill in Japanese. Um, so he was completely on the same level as, as the other guys at this point. Right. And I, you know, we'll talk a bit about before the exodus. Like I really get the impression that like, you know, Masawa's booking the company in the late nineties before the split that he's got his idea of who he wants to kind of be the next kind of like group of people that he yeah. wants to carry. And we'll, we'll talk a bit about that, but one of them is that the, the ACE is definitely going to be Jun Akiyama for sure. Yeah. And I think he, I think he, you know, he starts teaming with Ogawa and lets Akiyama go off to team with Kobashi to elevate uh, Akiyama so that, you know, when it comes time that he does get to challenge for the triple crown, this never happened, obviously, that he didn't know instead, that, that Misawa would drop the triple crown to, to Akiyama to really cement his status in the main event. But, um, you know, if you take what happened and know as kind of the, con- the continuation of Misawa's booking, then you kind of do get it. So Burning would win the All Japan World Tag Team titles twice. Uh, first time January 7th, 1999, over the Holy Demon Army. And they would lose these titles to Johnny Ace and, and Mike Barton, uh, Bart Gunn, on June 9th, 1999. Uh, their second time would be winning them on October 23rd, 1999, over uh, the Untouchables, Mitsuhara Masawa and Yoshinari Ogawa. And they would lose these titles to Steve Williams and Vader on February 20th, uh, 2000. Uh, 2000 i wrote um, fun, funny i wrote t- 2020 here that would not be possible 2000 here yeah. uh yeah and they also participated and won the real world tag league twice and they won it both times so he's obviously he's having much more success with ken Kobashi as his partner than when he was teaming with with um with Mitsuhara masawa so in the 1998 uh finals the uh, burning goes over stan hansen and vader and then in 1999, they go over to win the tournament uh, by beating uh, Stan Hansen and Akira Tawe this time. And uh, yeah, Stan Hansen being a kind of a, a good luck charm for for Jun Akiyama is, is as far as like he, and he's he's kind of this is pretty much a twilight of of Hansen's career because he is so beat up 
but you know, he, he's always good there for his aura. And if he hits you with that lariat, it's still going to be stiff as hell. Was Kawada hurt at this time? Yeah, this is like, I think when he broke his arm, right? In the match with Misawa, in the Ganzo Bomb match. Yeah, that was 99, right? Yeah, that was 99. So that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So Tawei's okay. He needs needs a partner. So they're like, hey, yeah, Hanson's not doing anything. Because I think, who's Vader teaming with in in, in the 99 one? Is he he's in the 99 one? Is he teaming with Albright? We just said, we just said, right? Dr. Death, no? Oh, Dr. Death. Yeah, they're the, yeah, because they're the tag team champions in 2000. Yep, sorry, my, my mistake. So they would have probably, you know, got a title shot. Maybe they, they pinned Burning in the 99 league or something like that. But, but they, they twice world tag team champions, twice real world tag league champions as well. So a great tag team. It would not last much longer. And uh, as we'll talk about once we get into pro wrestling, Noah, but um, you know, like, so that's his tag career, really great tag career. Like the team with Omori, like a low key, but probably like, you know, good, good, good run with Omori, but also being thrust into the main event scene with, with uh, Asawa as his being his new partner and being his protege and then teaming with, with Kobashi and, and, and more on a, not so much as a protege, but more like this guy's like my younger peer, so to speak. Cause I think you get that more of a sense of that in, in burning than you did with his team with Misawa. Yeah. He was definitely like under Misawa's wing, but you don't get that same vibe with Kobashi. Like he was kind of the guy that was chasing Kobashi the whole time, but he wasn't like being developed by Kobashi. He was more like, you know, he debuted against them, right? They're they're more peers, right? Uh, but also, like, we have to talk about. Like, he also had a very significant singles career. Uh, so, uh, so one more tag team, one more tag team, underrated tag team with Akitoshi Saito. That's in Noah. But I'm just saying his tag team career. Oh yeah, but we're, well, I was going to say that for Noah. Okay, <laughs> we're going to talk we'll about his his GHC stuff with with in, in Noah. But yeah. Um, actually, if he does have one, he, he was going to develop, I believe, uh, a tag team with, with, uh, Manokea Mossman, AKA right. Taiokea. And yeah. I think Taikea was one of those guys that was going to Baba and Masao were going to like, we're going to, he's going to be one of our guys who's going to, sure. and he's going to, I think it was going to be very similar where, where Akiyama was going to be the Masawa to his Akiyama. Like that was, that's why he was going to be paired with, with Akiyama as a tag team. And I think the other, other guys were probably going to be like uh, Takao Mori and mm-hmm. uh, Yoshihiro Takayama, who had just come over from what UWFI, right? That's right. That, that uh, 2000 champion carnival, you start to kind of see the, the, those movements happening. And I remember uh, Akiyama and Kea did team a bit, right at the very end of the of his run in all Japan. So yeah, I think Kea would have been there for sure. Amori would have been there for sure. Can't really think like Shiga would not have been there. Takayama for sure would have been there. Uh, I think Ogawa would have got a semi mid main yeah. event push. Not so much a, a I mean, he did win the GHC title. Yeah, right? Like obviously Misawa liked him. So the, so the one that I, that I always, wonder what could have been i guess he would have been more of a junior because he ended up being one in new japan but i wish we got more kakihara mm. in all japan 
Yeah, I, I, he, he was in, he was in Untouchables, right? He was, yeah. I think it he was, came over with Albright and Takayama when UWF closed, and then yeah, he was like kind of the fall guy in Untouchables. But I think he, he was, he was still like he slimmed down when he went to New Japan, so he was in hmm. the juniors. Could have been but a heavyweight. I think. He could have been a heavyweight in, in, in all Japan. I think he would have been pushed as a heavyweight. He does briefly like I think he's part of like that initial like jumping over from all yep. Japan to to Noah. Um yep. I think you know also Bart Gunn was gonna probably be pushed as like one of their key heavyweight guys along with Vader. Like, but yep. as Vader winds down, like you know, he's he's the last legs of his career, let's be honest, at you know, in 2000. Like Bart Gunn is someone that they probably would have pushed as well, along with maybe like Jim Steele. And like, mm-hmm. there's something to be said about loyalty. Like, okay, Jim Steele, Johnny Smith, these guys have been with us for a long time. And like, you know, by this, you know, I think Johnny Ace would eventually have like moved to the United States back to like permanently working for WCW. He, which is what he did. And then jumped to the WWE during the WCW buyout. But it's, it's interesting. Like what, that's one of my big, that's probably my biggest. What if, what if the Noah split never happened? What if Masawa pushed out? Mrs. Baba and he took over the company and he just kept the all everything like the IP of all Japan and just and never split. Like what what a what a thought. Like you know. I wonder if you still would have gotten Muto jumping the next year. Um maybe because they were friends. Yeah. Like, and I think Muto really wanted to get away from Enochiaism in that yeah. period. Like he just was like, this is not for me. You guys you guys are ruining this company. Like, you know, like a lot of, I mean, Hashimoto left and he would be the guy who would have been like most fit in, but like, you know, the only of the, the only musketeer who stays in that period is, is Chono. Mm-hmm. And you know, not even he could like, you know, keep, keep it from like taking over the booking of the company, but Mudo, Mudo saw an opportunity for himself. Like, I, I don't think he would have been the president of the company, obviously it would have been Misawa, but I think he would have had a nice like salary offer. And to make me be like, yeah, okay, I'll come over here. You know, maybe his ego wouldn't have been as rampant as this in 2021. <laughs> so even a lot easier to deal with maybe back then as well. Um, but yeah, so he does have a significant singles career, uh, having notable matches with all members of the four pillars, particularly with Kenneth Kobashi and Mitsuhara Misawa. And in the mid to late nineties, he was like, like you were saying, Jojo, like they're not using the, the, the you know the four pillars so much because he's kind of joined them he's the unofficial fifth pillar what did you call him the 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 power five yeah in japanese they call him gokyo which is like five strong but i I, in english i mean the term doesn't really get used in english i I think it's kind of a a blind spot for most people but i i i I translated to power five yeah power five um akiyama challenges uh for the triple crown four times in the in this period of the the mid to late 90s uh twice against misawa in september on september 6 1997 and on january 26 1998 uh, he of course doesn't win any of those matches but he has great showings against misawa in those matches he yeah. he challenges uh Kenna kobashi when he's triple crown champion on july 24th 1998 and then finally once against vader when he's the tri- uh, triple crown champion on January 23rd, uh, 2000. And uh, it's, it's interesting during this time, he never wins a triple crown, but like that's all Japan booking. Like, I think 
if again, if the split doesn't happen, he's he's going to become triple crown champion, uh, probably two thousand and one or two thousand and two. Yeah, and I think, like I said, I think I think it would have still been from Misawa. Um, so if you know, connect connect the two promotions histories, you kind of end up getting it. But yeah, those those matches against Misawa are all great. Uh, and like I said, that that ninety eight match against Kobashi is literally my favorite match ever. So highly recommend these uh, triple crown challenges that he had. I, I think Misawa would have put over uh, Akiyama for the triple crown before he would have ever put over Kawada for the triple crown. <laughs> yeah, probably. probably. Um, um, he would eventually win the triple crown twice during his second stint in all Japan for wrestling. For wrestling, he he his first time was by defeating Suwama on October twenty third uh, in two thousand eleven. Uh, he would lose, and this is while he's still in pro wrestling. Noah, by the way, so I should clarify that. So he he wins his first triple crown while he's still a member of the Noah roster, and they're doing co promotion with all Japan. Uh, it's a great time for this kind of stuff, by the way, like interpromotional stuff. Um, uh, so, and he he has some defenses with the title before losing it to uh, Masakatsu Funaki on August twenty sixth, two thousand twelve, in a mi- in a in a match that's less than five minutes long. I don't believe I've seen that match. I can't remember if I've seen it or not. Um, but this is kind of like a, a trend. It seems with uh, Funaki, like, because he just won the GHC national title from Keno in less than five minutes, too, didn't he? He did. He did. So just last like, week. So Masakatsu Funaki, the master of the uh, sub-five-minute match for, for winning major titles in professional wrestling. It's, it's, not a, it's not a bad reputation to have, in my opinion. Um, his second time, his, he's a full, full-on member of the uh, All Japan Pro Wrestling roster. He defeats Akibono on November 1st in 2015, and then loses to Suwama on January 2nd of 2016. Um, he wins the Champion Carnival uh, in 2013. April 29th is the finals, and he defeats Kai. And uh, But I, I would say his, he wins it in 2013, JJ, but his most significant carnival was in 1998 because he reached the finals of that tournament before losing to Mitsuharu Nasawa. Yeah, for sure. Of like his pre-split All Japan run, that's that's the best one for sure. He also had a really good run, kind of a, a couple different years in like the mid 2010s too. Of what the champion carnival? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like there's a there's a period of like stuff that's kind of lost. I feel in in a lot of like discussions because like when we talk about Japan these days, it's like, you know, it's like the Okada era of, of, of new Japan, but there is like so much great stuff that that's kind of flying under the radar in, in all Japan and Noah at this time um, that people should definitely check out, including these, these carnival runs that Jojo is talking about. But um, I would say his Akiyama's most significant singles win uh, for me has to be from February 27th, 2000, where he, he finally defeats Mitsuhara Misawa for the first time in his career in an excellent, excellent match. I do a review of this show, of this match for, uh, for this, this uh, series, Long and Winding Road Road. It's with, uh, with Ed Cody, and that's for episode seven. Go check, out, go check out that episode. Watch the match first, and then go watch, and then go listen to the review. But th- this, is an, this is one of those matches like I vividly remember watching the, the tape of, and just being blown away by like, wow, that that was amazing. Like Akiyama has 
reached the level as a singles wrestler, he's finally defeated Misawa. Like he's on his way. I feel it, it's very similar. And, you know, I think just history took a different direction, but it's very similar to when, you know, Jumbo lost to Misawa for the first time. For sure. This match is a, is a special one for me too. I remember high spots used to sell tapes that were COOP, which I believe stands for a copy of original packaging, right? So you would get like a copy of the VHS, but then like a photocopy of the cover uh, of the, you know, the, the VHS case. So I actually had this excite series uh, 2000 COOP tape from high spots. Um, it also has a, a Kobashi triple crown match against Vader. But yeah, I think this is like his big last hurrah uh, in all Japan. Definitely like the punctuation to his like being ready to be in the main event after jumping to Noah. Yeah, and he was definitely like, you could tell like he's clearly, okay, Kobashi is going to be the guy who like as Misawa, like his original plan was to like phase him, himself out of this and just run the office for the most part and probably just be in like comedy six man tag matches. Cause he didn't want to be like, he was going to make Kobashi the ace of the company. Like, um, though I will argue like he shouldn't make Kobashi and Kawada the aces, the aces of the company that would have been better for, for everyone in general. But, but you know, Akiyama was going to be that guy who was just simmering underneath and he's going to take over the company as the top guy in the company as the top star probably by by the time 2003 hits like that's what his that's probably the timeline for him that's in my opinion yeah and that like lines up with you know kabashi getting injured and then you know becoming ill um obviously he had a, a monstrous run in noah around then too but um i think yeah you would have seen uh, akiyama and you know atop the company at for sure, you know, carrying the, as the flag bearer at that point, but if not earlier. Uh, this of course brings us to the, the exodus of, of the, of the Noah, uh, how many is this? Like 25 people leave Noah to, to join Mr. Hamasawa in leaving all Japan. Due yes, to like basically the entire roster other yeah. than Fuji and Kawada, right? Exactly. And, and some of the foreigners, the, the, they, they all go to, to this new promotion, wrestling Noah, um, it's like, uh, I think, you know, it's kind of, of course there's the illusions of Noah's Ark. Uh, so like, it's a safe haven. <laughs> you want to get away from Motoko Baba, then you, you got to get on board the Ark and, and go to wrestling Noah. Um, but immediately, you know, Akiyama is, is slated. It's slotted to be the guy because in the main event of Noah's first ever show on August 5th, he wins the, the the he wins both falls of this two out of three falls tag match where he's teaming with Kenokobashi against the team of Mitsuhara Masawa and uh, Akira Tawe. He he uh, he wins the first fall by choking out Misawa, and then and then he wins the second fall by pinning Akira Tawe. This is a great match. I I highly recommend it. This is a really really great match, and Akiyama is just pure fire in this thing. And he, you can tell he gets all, he gets pretty much all the shine in this, like uh, Kobashi is there and, and he's, he's holding his own for sure. But like the, all the shine is on Akiyama, like choking Amasawa. That's a big thing. And then, and then pinning Tawe. And also 
he, you know, in the aftermath, the post-match uh, of this is that he turns heel on Kenny Kobashi by giving him a backdrop driver. Yeah, we wouldn't, uh, we wouldn't get their combination of burning in, in Noah because of this. And Akiyama would, would adopt that sternness moniker that we talked about briefly. Um, but yeah, he comes out wearing white tights, no, no longer wearing the blue. He's got his hair kind of bleached for 20 minutes. So it's like an orangey color. Um, but yeah, great match, uh, great turn. And obviously leading into another great main event the next night. Yeah. On August 6th, you know, Kenny Kobashi versus Jun Akiyama, which Jun Akiyama wins by, by choking out Kobashi this time with his uh, guillotine chokehold. And uh, yeah, it signals, you know, like, you know, the, the, this new Akiyama, this guy who's not going to be in the shadow of anyone else in the company, not in the shadow of Misawa, not in the shadow of Kenny Kobashi. And uh, it's a great post-match afterwards because like, I think it's Takeshi Rikio comes in and he starts, he's so angry at the treatment of Kobashi at the hands of Akiyama that he comes in and he's like, just starts like, you know, tagging him and then <laughs> I just like dismisses him, kicks him and then throws him out of the ring. He's like, you're beneath me, get out of here. And then Yoshinobu Kanemaru leaves burning to join Sternness, which is the, which will become the name of Akiyama's new faction. Um, I love that name, by the way, Sternness. I just think it's such a, a Japanese, you know, uh, kind of like, you know, borrowed English word unit yeah. name, but it, it, I think it just fits him so well. Um, I'm not a huge fan of the makeup of sternness so much because I I'm not a big fan of Akatoshi Saido. Um, I do think his him and Akema are a very good tag team, but I just you know just never got into Akatoshi Saido even in, in his tag team with with Akiyama. But hey, Yoshinobu Kanemaru, awesome, awesome junior heavyweight and great heel in his own right. And also you have Makoto Hashi, um, who was Akiyama's kohai at the time. And uh, currently on Akiyama's YouTube uh, channel, there's like a, a series of them making Chanko together and reminiscing about the All Japan and Noah days, which is pretty uh, entertaining. It's probably be funny because Matoko, you know, was it Makoto? Makoto, yeah. Makoto Hashi was basically Akiyama's whipping boy. Yeah, basically. Because <laughs> he's, he's actually a very solid wrestler. I was always entertained by Hashi because he was a junior heavyweight. And and he had like some really great chemistry with Kenta and Marafuji and, and like uh, with Sugiera as well and, and and people like that. But Akiyama, like if he teamed with Akiyama, Akiyama would abuse him. If he was on the opposite side of a match with Akiyama, Akiyama would like beat the shit out of him. It didn't matter if they were on the same side or opposite ends. He was going to get abused by Gene Akiyama in the ring. I mean, he has to live up to that grumpy, you know, those grumpy expectations. That's right um yeah so he in noah he's a three-time ghc heavyweight champion uh he he's the person to, to defeat the first champion which is mitsuhara masawa on uh, july 27 2001 thus becoming the the second champion in that belt's history uh he would defeat akira tawe on january 22nd 2006 and then three years later he would defeat uh, the invading the outsider kensuke sasaki on march 1st 2009 for for these uh for for this particular title i think one of the significant things is who he loses these belt these titles to like you know during these reigns and i think the first one is to 
your scenario Gao, which you mentioned before, Jojo. But I think the second his second reign, he loses to Naomi Shimara Fuji, which mm-hmm. I thought was and by the way, it's an excellent match. Yeah. Um, and I just think I thought this is okay, this is a signal that they're not gonna be restrictive. If someone is over and if someone's really good, it doesn't matter how big they are, you can you can push them as a heavyweight. Unfortunately, you know, it didn't turn out. I thought they they pulled the plug too soon on Marafuji. Yeah. Um, but what a great what a great way for him to start off was to get this really great win over Junakiyama. Yeah, and I think at that time they were saying basically like this is junior heavyweight Namichi Marafuji in a GHC title match. Um, so not really, you know, giving it the full go ahead. Obviously he wins, but not, you know, treating him as a heavyweight. Eventually he would get to that point where they were calling him a heavyweight. But yeah, that's a great match too. Him, him and Kenta. Kent, I I feel it's just like a wasted opportunity. You you could have had these guys be main eventers a lot sooner than they did, like considered to be like on the level of a heavyweight wrestler a lot sooner because they would eventually get there without really adding that much mass to their bodies, you know, mm. I feel. Like when they're finally considered heavyweights, it's like well, they're not that much bigger than when they were juniors, and, and like you could have had them at this level a lot sooner, you know. Like I think they should have won. There's that tag match they have against the Untouchables, Kenta Marafuji. I think they should have won that match. My opinion. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were they were deserving of being treated as heavyweights, yeah. regardless of their one one of one of my favorite matches from this era of Noah is the the time on the tag draw they have with. Uh, 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 the two Takeshis, Morishima and Rikio. Wild two. Wild two. That's right. I never got Rikio. Like he's a good tag wrestler. Never understood like why they put him in SGH Heavyweight Champion. Especially he beat Kobashi. What a waste. But that was a great yeah, that, match. That tag match is awesome for that, sure. That is a great. It's a it's a timely draw. And, you, and I just think I come out of this judge. I was just thinking, okay, future Noah, right there. Plus. Like Sugiera, also, mm. you know, like you got, you guys are set. You guys are set for the next ten years. If like, unfortunately, Morishima just collapses because he can't because of his, you know, he has to retire because of diabetes. Rikio just, you know, injuries. He gets out of wrestling, and then you know, Kenda Marafuji, you know, we know, we know what, you know, they're they're still in wrestling, obviously, but you know, nah, not 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 at an elite level that you think. And of course, Noah, you know, has his ups and downs, you know, in that period as well. But it is what it is. But uh, back to Akiyama, he's not only is he a three-time uh, GHC heavyweight champion, he's also a three-time GHC heavyweight tag champion, uh, twice with Akitoshi Saido and once with uh, Takeshi Rikio, which I I actually like that team, and I just wish it lasted longer. The Rikio team? Yeah. Yeah, Rikio kind of has a very short career when you look back at it. Um, really only wrestled full-time for like 10 years. Um, so I think he could have done a lot more. Uh, and it would have been cool to see. That would have been a, a one to see get stretched out more with teaming with Akiyama for sure. No, I, 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 like I said, I'm not a huge fan of Saito. I, I think he does have a good tag team with Akiyama. Um, I never fully got into it just because like I okay, here's the thing. Saido, I hate his fucking look to the point where like it just it's a huge turnoff for me. 
like the, the baggy pants, the, the, the gut hanging out and the mullet. It just is all of it combined. Mm-hmm. It's just a fucking turnoff for me. Yeah. What, what, Jojo, what are your thoughts on, on this tag <laughs> team with Saito? Like it, just this particular tag team, but if you want to, you know, go further and like Saito as a, as a wrestler, just him himself, that's fine as well. I mean, I think the tag team with Akiyama is the best work that Saito ever did. Uh, there's an excellent match, a couple excellent matches. There's one with them against uh, Otani and Masato Tanaka that's really good from, I think, 2003, maybe January. There's a really, really good one against uh, Kobashi and Tamon Honda. Um, and yeah, I mean, I'm not... This this episode is clearly not about Akitoshi Saito, but uh, that team produced some excellent matches as well. Right, I think there's a the last match I reviewed was was the you know, Misawa Kobashi Classic where Kobashi wins the GHC title, mm-hmm. and and I believe you know the next challenger is going to be Saito. Mm-hmm. So they they have a shot of him watching the match from like the back like you know back of the, f- the first floor the main floor the corner yeah, yeah, yeah and and he's wearing sandals and a, <laughs> a, and a towel and a speedo and i just think <laughs> oh my god this man is the sleaziest looking person in all of wrestling at this moment <laughs> yeah he he definitely has a very grimy look and he's always had that look he's one of a very few japanese wrestlers who who's had a, a tattoo his entire career, which is obviously not normal in Japan. Um, he's got that greased back hair. But yeah. He's also he's had a that mullet too. Yep, for sure. Still has the mullet. Still has the mullet. Uh, uh, Akiyama was the inaugural uh, GHC Hardcore Open Weight Champion. He, he created this title. Uh, I never understood this title, Jojo. I, in fact, I hate it. Like, I just thought this is like a gimmick belt. It's... It's like this fucking like king of pro wrestling thing they fucking got Yano doing. To me, it's a little bit more serious, obviously, but it's just like w- why? I know like he was just trying to give him something himself something to do while like he's not in the GHC heavyweight title mix. But I I I don't think you know creating a quote unquote hardcore championship like because this is also like the time of the height of like the hardcore title in, in the wwe wbf so i don't know what are, you, what are your thoughts about this title yeah i'm not a fan either uh it doesn't really make sense i guess you can say like it's not i'm a traditionalist for the most part when it comes to japanese professional wrestling and and this thing you know it doesn't make sense in in the context of in the context of of kind of the King's Road, Royal Road lore. Um, maybe like an FMW style title where they're actually doing hardcore matches would have been cool, but that's not what this was. No, it's kind of a experiment. I think he just wanted an excuse to fight Makotohashi and like Tagira this time, maybe. Uh, and Marafuji and stuff in singles matches. Um, it was actually called the Global Hardcore Crown. They changed the meaning of the H. Oh, there you go. There you go. Um, but it was an open I, weight title. It was an open weight title. And there was a, a short period where it was actually a hardcore title in 2005. 
Um, and then it became when Shiga got it, it became, yeah, like kind of a Yano type title. Um, it's like Shiga doing his like, you know, his uh, Japanese Afro gimmick. Yeah, that type of that era of Kentaro Shiga. You know, I thought he was a, a decent wrestler early in his career, but then kind of fell off. He he never was going to be a star because of his frame. Right. Yeah, for sure. Um, but like you think of a guy like Nishimura, for example, like still a good wrestler, never going to be a, a main eventer because he's too skinny. But no, but like Chica's like, you know, aspiration should have been like someone's tag partner mm, for sure. You know, like whether it's Akiyama or I don't know, some, someone else. Right. Like, but his, his aspiration and his goals should have been like, I'm the, you know, the regular tag partner of this bigger star. And then he yeah. would have been in main events for sure in, in that in that in that context. But um, yeah, he he was fine. Like I always enjoyed his work in mid card stuff. But like if you said to me, is Kentarashika a contender for someone to be a, a star <laughs> in no. all Japan or or Noah? I'd be like, no, no. Like yeah. and then he he knew it too because he then he you know he went into that fucking comedy role where he's like got what is it the punch perm? Is that what they call it? Yeah. The punch, sure. like if you're a dragon fan, you know, like punch Tomonaga. Yeah, he Kentar- looks a lot like punch at that at that point. Yeah, Kentaro Shiga looks like punch Tomonaga for those of you who are like Dragon Gate fans who, who are familiar with that wrestler. But yeah, not 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 a not one of my favorite eras of uh of of Kentaro Shiga, definitely. Um, but with Akiyama, he's also having a very significant uh, 2003 JoJo, because then he participates in New Japan's G1 climax of that year. And uh, he has an excellent tournament. He defeats Manabu Nakanishi, Hiroshi Tanahashi, and Hiroyoshi Tenzan in the block matches. He moves on to the semifinals where he defeats Yuji Nagata. And then uh, he, you know, meets Tenzan again in the finals because Tenzan has enough points to go into his semifinal. And then, um, yeah, this is, and they meet in, in the finals of probably the one of the greatest G1 finals ever. I, I think you've told me, and you've been on Cruel Summer. Yeah. Uh, you viewed this on Cruel Summer with me. I sure did, yeah. Because you've told me this is my favorite G1 finals of all time. And, and it's, uh, it's hard to argue against that because it is a great, great match. Yeah, it is uh, peak Tenzon too. Like Akiyama's great in it, but just as good as Akiyama is, Tenzon is amazing in that match too. Um, Tenzon, uh, Tenzon without the mullet is way better than Tenzon with hmm. the mullet. Yeah, that's like real baby baby face Tenzon, especially with that crowd because Akiyama was obviously a Noah guy coming into the G one, and you know, uh, Tenzon had just come back from an injury. Yeah, that's a great fucking match. I should watch that. I haven't I haven't watched that probably since the last time we we reviewed it. Um, but yeah, I remember. Akiyama is really relentless in that match, targeting Tenzon's neck. Um, and same thing, Tenzon was, you know, developing the Anaconda device at that point too. So that, it's a it's a brutal match. And obviously the heat in Real Goku in the summer is pretty brutal too. They're just like sweating all over the place. Yeah, great match. Ah, uh, like, yeah, the Anaconda device. Uh, yeah. I love that move. I just thought, and he, and Akiyama sells it like so mm. beautifully. In that match, he really helps establish that as a killer, killer submission move for Tenzon. So, you know, yeah, just go go watch Akiyama's entire run in the 2003 G1, and then definitely you're gonna treat. If you haven't seen the finals with Tenzon, 
Like, go treat yourself. It, it is one of my favorites too. And I saw that, like, I got the tape of that a DVD at this point. I got the DVD of that, like, maybe a month later. Cause, like, I switched to Jeff Lynch at that point, I think. And yeah. I was getting stuff the be- like the best quality. I got the best quality, <laughs> right? And I got it, like, I got the best catalog every month from, from Jeff Lynch. That thing was, I wonder if he still does that. You think he, he does? Still okay. He does. Apparently okay. he does. Like I, I stopped getting, you know, DVDs, but someone told me, oh yes, Jeff Lynch is still around. And like, and he'll still send, like, it might be a PDF now. I don't know if he sends a hard copy anymore. It might be a PDF now. That might be easier, but <laughs> like, I remember you could I like pick, you could pick like, I forget how many hours fit on a tape, like six or eight or something like that. So you could like pick, okay, I want to fill up my tape with these specific two hour blocks or whatever. Oh, but like by DVD time, it's like you can fill up five hours and it's all perfect quality of like mm. a two hour SP, SP formatted VHS. It's yeah, awesome. I was, I was done by the time, by the time DVDs were a thing, I was already not a wrestling fan anymore. I think my entire like Dragon Gate DVD collection is from Jeff Lynch. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. So uh, where am I now? Okay. So uh, it's also during, yeah, so we also mentioned that it's during this time in Noah, he, he wins Triple Crown for the first time. Um, he participates in the, the Noah version of the G1, the Global League, and he goes to the finals uh, and loses to Yoshihiro Takeyama. He, does, he, he never wins the Global League or what they call the N1 uh, these days. Yeah, it wasn't that big of a thing back then. Um, and it didn't start, I forget the first year they had the global league, but it was already like kind of after the initial burst of Noah. Um, but yeah, he still has, he still has a chance to win it. He does. He could, he could, uh, show up in, in Noah before he eventually retires. And while he's still kind of in a kind of renaissance of his career right now, the first year was 2010. So, right. There you go. Um, he does win, however, the Global Tag League in 2011 with Akitoshi Saido as his partner. Um, but yeah, like it's it's a it's a rough time. This like kind of like you know 2009 2011 period for Akitoshi is a tough time. He's he's dealing with a lot of back injuries. It, you know, it's like he has injuries that take him out of actually wrestling full time for a while um, in 2009. But also he's dealing with the the you know like with you know post traumatic syndrome. Um, because, you know, you know, Misawa dies on, on June 13th of 2009. And, and it, this is like this, it affects everyone on that roster, obviously. And, and I think it still has repercussions to this day, but like at that time, it's, it's really, really tough on Jun Akiyama, like, cause he, now the burden is completely on him to be, cause Ko, Kobashi is kind of like pretty much done with like, you know, all his, his injury surgeries and his cancer and Misawa dies in the ring. And it's just really tough time for Noah is like, can they continue? And a lot of the focus is then put on Akiyama to like, is Noah going to continue? The, the kind of the question is usually poised towards him. Yeah. Real rough. Like, I don't know how I can't even like wrap my head around what that must've been like, especially for him, like being so close with Misawa, like, he more or less owes his entire career to Misawa at that point. Like obviously the run they had in all Japan and then like being handpicked to be the, the poster boy for Noah, like it's basically like losing a family member, I'm sure. So it's completely understandable that it would have, would have really rocked him. 
And it's during like this period is also like kind of the down period of, of pro wrestling Noah because they have the, the Yakuza scandal from the, the book by uh, Junius Amida, I believe. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it's like a rough time. And then, you know, you know, Noah's suffering financially. So at this point, like Kobashi is pretty much done with wrestling and, and Noah, in order to save money decides, well, we're not going to, we don't want you to have you on the books anymore. And it's like, it kind of goes against the whole philosophy of like, you know, people like Giant Baba and, and Mr. Hamasawa, where like you take care of, you know, people who are loyal to you and who work for you. And especially like someone like Kobashi, regardless if he can wrestle or not, you you keep him on the payroll. Like you take care of him. You give him something to do, even as just being like an ambassador or anything, but you keep you you make sure he has a job always. And that's something that that was a philosophy that Baba had, and that was also a philosophy that Misawa adopted and and really you know, was, you know, secretly he, he was very generous with like things like, you know, giving people money and stuff like that. Um, but like, this is like really, you know, this sticks in the craw because not only is it going against kind of philosophy of like previous mentors that Akiyama has had, and it's going against like a business philosophy that he kind of grew up in, but it's also like against the man, like this man who's like his, his, his mentor and one of his best friends, if not his best friend in all of professional wrestling. Mm, yeah. It, it really goes against like everything that, that really defines Noah, like Rusher Kimura and Haruka Egan and like uh, Mitsuo Momota were on like the Exodus roster for Noah. They didn't need to be there because of like of what they were doing in the ring. Right. Like that's the culture of these companies is that you take care and you know the you take care of the older wrestlers and the older wrestlers contribute in the office and that sort of thing so it's yeah it's a huge slap in the face um especially a legend like kobashi um yeah always surprised me that that noah would do that even with the financial troubles that they were facing but um you know at the end of 2012 like you know akiyama announces i'm leaving and then in January of 2013, he shows up in All Japan Pro Wrestling again, but not alone. He's, he's joined by Goshizaki, Yoshinobu Kanemaru, Asushi Aoki, and Kotaro Suzuki. And they are entering All Japan under the, under the banner of burning. And, and I, when I saw this, JoJo, I lost my mind because I thought, Oh my God, because all Japan at that time was really promising because you had all this like underneath talent. You had Suwama. I love Suwama. Never turned against Suwama. But you also had like, you had Shiji Kondo and Kazayashi in the juniors. You had all this super young talent there. Manabu Soya, Kai, Seiya Sonata. Oh my God, it was so promising. And then they get bolstered by these five, especially like Go. Yeah, you know, like the the like top heavyweight prospect, young guy in Noah, he jumps to to all Japan with 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 all because because of his loyalty to his mentor is also Ken Kobashi. You know, Aoki goes because of his loyalty to and Kanemaru go because of the loyalty to Akiyama and yeah. Katara Suzuki. I would imagine it's a, it's a bit of both, <laughs> you know, Kobashi and Akiyama. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, uh, Kotara was you know very close with Misawa. So I'm sure, you know, he was also very close with, with Akiyama. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that gave them a huge injection of talent, not just at the heavyweight level with Akiyama, 
and and Shizaki, obviously, but you know, Kotaro and Aoki had a great tag team. Um Kanemaru has some great tags with with both of them. He has a run with the with the junior with the all Japan junior heavyweight uh, singles heavyweight uh, singles junior heavyweight title. Yeah, it's a it's a, a if you could pick five guys, I mean that's a gr- those are five great guys to start a company with, let alone like add to a company that already has um, a stacked roster or a growing roster. So yeah, I wish I wasn't following wrestling at this time, but if I were, I'm sure I would have loved this. Oh, I was there when they showed up. And I lost. Oh my mind. god! I I I lost my <laughs> fucking mind, JJ. I was like, what? I was oh my god, because I was a big fan of 2012 All Japan because of Apparently, like if you were this, there, yeah, this this younger roster and like you got Suwama on top still. That was in Korokuen. I was in no, it was in Rio Goku, wasn't it? Oh, okay. it was in Rio Goku, yeah, um, because they did a big show at Rio Goku, and and. Like, no, that wasn't, it definitely, it wasn't Tokyo. It wasn't Corgan. So it had to be real Goku. <laughs> mm. There's no other place it could have been. <laughs> yeah. Like I saw a show at Sumo Hall for, for all Japan because they were, they were running it. Right. With like, cause Muda was trying to get in there right for regularly. I think the idea was like, we're going to, we're going to eventually move back to Budokan. Never happened. It still hasn't happened. So, oh, well, but yeah. And, and just like, huge, I was a huge fan of, Sonata, especially, I thought, oh my God, this guy's even at that point in his career, so young in his career, like just this guy could have been what this guy could have been was this. And he, you know, became a pretty he's a good wrestler, just doesn't never gonna get the push, I think, in New Japan. But Soya, you know, um Yamato and the juniors, like Kai, I just like and not and and like good Kai, not not like tank top jeans Kai, which I hate. That's a terrible version of Kai, by the way. So current uh, open the Dreamgate champion, Kai. Is he current open the Dreamgate champion? He I'm is. not following. Uh, I'm not following uh, Dragon Gate uh, recently, so it's like it's kind of a blind spot for me. I, I do kind of want to rectify that, but yeah, is I did see a picture. Is he is he dressing like like fucking Hiromi now? Uh, yeah, I, I could see why you would say that. Yeah, it's pretty similar. Like he has red hair, and he has a uh, you know pants with with writing all over him and stuff like that very colorful like i think he's uh, also wearing like a like a motorcycle jacket with like your jacket, yeah 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 a lot of parallels between he and her own i was like oh is he doing a tribute to her because like that's not really his look per se but anyways i so I, what, I won't judge what matches from this like burning return to all japan do you recommend uh anything with those guys because the heat is off the charts like the the Shiozaki Akiyama tag team, the heavyweight tag team, uh, is is awesome. Kanemaru, who does he? You think he beats Shichi Kondo for the for the junior title? Uh, and Aoki and Kotaro Suzuki are the become all Asia tag champions. Like I I didn't research it. Like I need I need to like I would need to yeah. refresh my memory. Like because but like everything for like this one year period before before like you know, um, the ownership changes, right? And the new owner of, of All Japan is like just having so much heat with Mudo. The Mudo leaves and t- basically he has his own version of the Noah Exodus. This is like Noah Exodus part two because Mudo leaves and takes pretty much all the guys he trained or, or, or training the dojo under his, his reign as, as president of All Japan, go with him to form this new version of Russell One Right. And 
And like, and like now Akiyama knows what Toshiaki Kawada feels like. Mm. Basically. That, that owner was uh, Shiraishi. I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. Because he wanted to, I don't know, like something like he, he was like a huge fan of fucking Vince McMahon and the WWE or it was like really disturbing things I was hearing about this the company at the time and and uh yeah i don't i don't think they ever recover like i do think if if 2013 was like if 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 only muto left if sonata soya um um akai and yamato as a junior stayed it would have been you would have had something akin to something rivaling New Japan at in that period of what New Japan would have you know become by the time Okada ascends to becoming the ace of of of, of New Japan Pro Wrestling, I think you could have had something similar because then you would likely get Miyahara coming over from from uh, you know the the dissolution of Diamond Ring and he wouldn't mm-hmm. stay in in Noah because of I obviously he has some kind of heat with Nakajima, so he he would have come over to All Japan regardless. And mm. you know, like I look at some of the people who who debut for for Wrestle One, like from their dojo system, and the the most prominent name for that is like Shutaro Ishino, and I would be like, "Fuck!" Like there you go, like <laughs> what a what a what a what a what a collection of talent you would have had to carry you on through into the you know the late 2010s into like the 2020s and stuff like that. So that's just my you know, again, just like fantasy booking that, but like, I do think that that's, that's very likely what could have happened. And then you get like all like Yuya, Yuya, Yuma Aoyagi, you get Naoya Nomura coming through the, the all Japan system. Like, can you imagine all these guys, like just in the same company it would have been awesome. Yeah. We, uh, you know, we got a lot of those people interacting over the years, but never like belonging to the same company long-term. Um, would have been interesting to see if they would have been able to give uh, New Japan a run for their money, but I don't put it past, you know, cyber fighters are called now, you know, give it five years. Let's see what happens in five years. I think they'll be on pretty even footing with New Japan. If, 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 if all Japan continues like the way, the way they're going, I, I, I have fears that, you know, all Japan is a, even at this level, which is like, you know, not a great level, but like doesn't exist. And like, hey, okay, if that means like Aoyagi, Miyahara, Jake Lee, and Naoyamura jump over to, to like Cyberfight, jump mm-hmm. over to like Noah, like I don't want to see, I'm sorry, I don't want to see them in DBT. Like I just yeah. think, like, I think it's a waste. They join, can, can you imagine just those four join Noah? That, that would be what a, what a shot in the arm. And you just get rid of all the IGF guys that Nassau is a mark for. You just get rid of all the old dudes. Don't need them. You get like the next stream guys in. Oh my God. Plus Ashino and, and take, take Suwama too. Cause it's like, I love Suwama. I think he'd be a great grumpy veteran beating the shit out of, he's the only, he's younger than those guys from IGF, right? Like Fujita and, and Mudon all and like cash in and shit like that. Like Suwama's mm-hmm. still okay in a seat in a tag match. Mm-hmm. You can count on Suwama to, 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 to be a great worker in a tag match. But anyways, deviating off course. This is what happens when, <laughs> when I talk with you, Jojo. Like we, we talk about like all these fantasy booking things, but uh, but but back to, to, to Akiyama. Because Mudo leaves, he forms mm-hmm. Russell One. Akiyama becomes the president 
of All Japan Pro Wrestling, and he's kind of the guiding force of the company for the, for the for the basically the next you know nine to ten years. Yeah, there's no way we would still have All Japan Pro Wrestling today if not for Junakia. No, there's just no way. Um, he buys the company. He he establishes it in as a as a separate company, actually with the the name in English All Japan Pro Wrestling. Um, so he owns it, and uh, really really develops Kento Miyahara as a top star. Obviously, we talked about uh, Yuma Aoyagi, Naoya Nomura, these guys who really become like his guys um, and really saves the company from going out of business. Yeah, also like, you know, he, he develops Jake Lee. Yeah, um, Jake Lee. Yeah, Yusuke Okada as a junior, like... Zeus. Zeus, like, he, he's... It, it's, it's interesting, like, he brings in Zeus and the bodyguard as guys like okay, these guys are from Osaka Pro. They're kind of like, I, n- I never took either of them seriously, but like, what are they called? The big guns, right? Big guns, yeah. Uh, the, yeah, yeah, big guns. The big guns become like this perennial tag champion team in, in all Japan at the time. And like really helps establish Zeus as a star that he would become within, within all Japan. Um, yeah, it's, a, it's, it's actually a really fun period. Like Akiyama's period, like there's the rough period. Where it's like, oh, are they going to survive? But like, with the emergence of Miyahara as the top guy in the company, it's like, okay, there's there's some promise that this can become at least a Dragon Late Dragon Gate level company in terms of like box office and touring. Mm-hmm. Like, not not definitely not on a New Japan level, but like definitely for like close to a Dragon Gate, possibly for sure. Um, but yeah, he's, that didn't uh, happen. <laughs> that didn't happen. No, yeah. but for a lot of reasons ownership changes yeah. you know he does he does depart um all japan just for i think there's a there's a, you don't have to get into too much details about it but it, it has a lot to do with i think his own like i don't want to do this anymore i don't want to be the president of this company anymore because it's it, i think it's too much stress for him yeah for sure i mean he basically resurrected the company from from death and then you know the company starts to struggle a little bit after a few years of kind of resurgence and i think at the end of the day like he wants to just be a wrestler he wants to be a trainer and a wrestler he's not a businessman in that context so um he eventually makes a jump yeah he's he is rumored to be going to to, to go to the wwe performance center in florida um as a guest coach and maybe like maybe like something akin to what you know, Hideki Suzuki became, as you said, Jojo, or maybe like, you know, the brief stint that Kendo Kashin had at the WB Performance Center. But then, and I remember this is like, oh my God, he's going to start and he's going there and he's going to come back to Japan and start NXT Japan. No. Yeah. That was a, a weird time. I remember like, it was the, it was like, everyone was thinking it was like, it was the three names that were associated with you know, NXT Japan were, were Akiyama, uh, Daisuke Sakamoto and and Miko Satomura, obviously, but you know, but it never came to pass because of this small thing that you know is called uh, COVID. COVID happened, and thus Akima never leaves Japan. But you know, he does um, become a guest coach for DDT, and then he starts wrestling there full time, pretty much in 2020 and uh, in 2019, really, and then. He he lets his contract expire with All Japan, and then he signs fully with with Cyberfight and and wrestling primarily for the DDT brand. And again, I I was always surprised like he he is yet to do anything regular. 
with with uh, with Pro Wrestling Noah, who's under the same uh, ownership of of uh, of um, TDT. Yeah, they have to be like waiting for something big. I'm sure sooner or later he will uh, do some, you know, more long term stuff in Noah. But you know, he's been great in DDT. He's all his stuff was Takeshita. I know you don't watch DDT that much, but Konosuke Takeshita is like you would like him for sure. All his stuff with Akiyama is really good. He's recently reformed Burning with uh, Tetsuya Endo and uh, Okada's in there too, and some younger DDT guys. Um, so yeah, I mean, he's just, he's like the, the ser- the sternness, if you will, uh, on the DDT roster. He really hasn't done anything like too silly. And he, he continues to have really good matches, really good six man matches. Um, you know, as, as recently as probably this month. I, I do want to watch his stuff in DDT because I do get the, the news that like, you know, like, you, know, you would like i would like it like you, you would know. absolutely like it especially the matches with with takeshita like he's super grumpy they're super like classic royal road style matches you'll like him for sure what about his match with dashinoku dino <laughs> but i, I like that he wrestled dino no he did did he re- did he have a title match? I think Dino? he defended the what the open yeah, weight yeah, yeah. title i think you're right you know right. right like i i don't think i'll ever i hate dino I think he's just an embarrassment to, to wrestling in general. Like, I don't know that I watched that to be honest. <laughs> uh, probably not. I think you would have probably remembered if you saw Jack wrestle Dash and Okudino. But um, I was saying to to like on the last post Perez with Joey Bay, I was saying to Joey because we we're talking about this that yeah. I would I would love because we we're talking about Naoya Nomura and like the rumor is he's going to join. Like he's going to he's loyal to Akiyama. He's maybe he's going to join him. Like, yeah, I would hope that's the the that would prompt Akiyama to say, okay, you know what? I've done all I can in DDT. I'm going to take this burning unit that I formed with like, and I I like I'm familiar with Tetsuyendo. I I think he's fucking great. Yeah, and I would take him, Yusuke Okada, who's in Burning, mm. and and Noya Noya Nomura. Take like those as a as a quartet. Go to go to Noah. Go in you know quote unquote invade Noah. And like Endo and Noah would be awesome to see because I think he had like there's so many great wrestlers that are can be serious wrestlers that 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 wrestle for DDT like uh, Takeshita and, and Endo and and uh, Higuchi like oh yeah mm-hmm. throw Higuchi in there too like put, get him into Noah as well that'd be my that'd be that would be awesome to see but yeah then that's where we are with Jun Akiyama's career. It's still going on. He's in DDT. He's having a renaissance with his career. Like I'm going to try at some point, I don't know when, but I will at some point try to catch a lot of these, like uh, you know, using cage match and grapple and, and, and the advice of people like Jojo as my guide to like what I should watch. I do have access to cyber fight. So it's, it's, it's not like I, I can't watch this at any time. Yeah, there's there's great stuff and there's great like mid card stuff that when he had that June Retro unit, um, you just got to pick out the matches you want to watch and not sit through the whole show. And I'm, oh, I'm yeah. sure you will enjoy it. I'll I'll be in my little DDT serious wrestling bubble if I watch it. But uh, let let's let's talk uh, briefly about uh, his accomplishments in wrestling. We'll go through each each promotion he's been in in all Japan. He's been the All Asia Tag Team tag team champion three times uh once with takao mori once with yoshinobu kanemaru and once with yuji nagata he's been the gara tv championship champion one time i hate this title i think it's the ugliest looking title but in all of wrestling jojo 
Yeah, I can't I can't disagree there. It's a it's a stupid title for sure. Uh, the Triple Crown Heavyweight cha- Champion twice. We talked about uh, who he beat. Uh, he's been World Tag Team Champion for All Japan seven times. Twice with wow. Kenta Kobashi, once with Mitsuharu Misawa, once with Go Shizaki, three times with Takao Omori. Uh, he's been the he was in the uh, All Japan versus Hime Pro one day six man tag match tag tournament <laughs> in in 2019. This is obviously a complete uh, like thing that slipped my mind, and it's probably a complete comedy thing because his tag partners were Carbell Ito and Rising Hayato. There you go. Uh, the less said about Carbell Ito, the better. Uh, he's won the Asunara Cup, uh, Asunaro Cup in 1994. He won the Asunaro Tag Cup in 1998 with Takao Mori. He won the Champion Carnival in 2013. He won the Odo Tournament, the Royal Road Tournament in 2015. Mm. He won the One Night Six Man Tag Team Tournament in 1999 with Kenneko Bashi and Kentaro as his partners. And he's won the Real World Tag League three times, 1999, 1998, 1999 with Ken Kobashi and in 2014 with Takao Omori. By the way, Takao, like I, I've said this before, but like just I want to reemphasize his tag team with Takao Omori in this like, you know, mid 2010 period is great. They're, they are such a great grumpy veteran tag team and they do, they work so well with the younger wrestlers that they face. And like, and they, I think they have this match with the violent giants, like, Suwama Ishikawa, that's really fun to watch as well. And he's won the, I don't know what this is, the Zenihan Award uh, in 2014. Maybe like just, uh, hey, kind of a thank, you know, Hall of Fame kind of thing, probably like a contribution to to, to All Japan for wrestling. Um, anything, any thoughts about his, his, his accomplishments in All Japan? I mean, you listed them off. There's quite a, quite a, a long list obviously i think the one like kind of empty spot is having that like pre-split um triple crown reign which i it wouldn't have made sense at the time um but yeah i mean when you think about it like i kind of think of him more as a noah guy just because that's like when i was in real time following right now, obviously his 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 the the vast majority of his of his accomplishments are in all japan yes uh but you know talk speaking of noah he is the ghc heavyweight champion three times he is the ghc tag team champion three times twice with akatoshi saido once with takeshi rikyo as i said before he is the uh, global hardcore crown champion once uh he and he wins the global tag league once in 2011 with akatoshi saito in ddt pro wrestling and he is the he has been the iron man Heavy metal weight champion three times. Is that the one where you can just like, yeah, like put your hand on a ladder and you're the champion? That's the one. Oh, well, that's maybe not yeah. as big of an accomplishment. Uh, he's yeah. been the, <laughs> the, uh, the KOD open weight champion one time. I think he had a pretty, like, he had a pretty significant run with that belt, right? He did. And they did like a kind of a slow burn story with him and Takeshita where it was really hard for Takeshita to beat, to beat him. Um, so that produced a lot of good matches. And he has won uh, DDT's version of the of the Champion Carnival, the G1, the Do Grand Prix. Is that how you pronounce it, Jojo? <laughs> it's the D-O. What does that stand for? It must stand for something. It's king. It's the same O that's in Odo, which is Royal Road. Oh. 
fuck off. <laughs> <Come on. laughs> All right. Uh, uh, awards he has won from publications, Tokyo Sports Best Tag Team Award, 1999 with Kenta Kobashi, Fighting Spirit Award in 1998, Match of the Year Award 2004 against Kenta Kobashi on July 10th. That's the uh, that's Tokyo Dome match. It sure is. Oh, that's an awesome match. Go for sure. Watch that. 1992, he wins the Newcomer of the Year Award. Very fitting. If you look at, you, you can't really know if this is a fitting award until, you know, like well into like th- these people's careers. JJ. Well, we like, just said that uh, that Nagata debuted the same week that he did, right? So it's not like he didn't have any competition. Ninety two had a lot of good debuts, right? Right. Um, so he's yeah. I mean, like if you think about like kind of that generation of like yeah of New Japan alone. It's pretty pretty significant like time period. Um, I think the I think the thing that that makes Akiyama stand out is that he was really good, like we said, really fast. Yes, he took yeah. to it very quickly to being a being a pro wrestler. Yeah. Outstanding performance award. He's won this three times: two thousand, two thousand and one, and then in two thousand eleven. I can definitely see like why in two thousand and two thousand one. He's basically making sure Noah's on everyone's lips, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the technique award uh in 2003 any thoughts about the tokyo sports awards that he's won throughout his career yeah i mean i i I think the the fighting spirit and the technique awards are are pretty interchangeable um they're usually just given to like the top guy or 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 you know an excellent wrestler in not the main promotion of the year i guess is how you can say it yeah um but the match of the year is a big thing um yeah i mean the awards aren't 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 uh super meaningful i guess but it it just it just shows that he was on the top of the business for quite a while in japan so from the wrestling observer newsletter he has he is part of the hall of fame the class of 2020 so he just got in recently i remember there's always been a debate about oh does akiyama deserve going in i i'm sorry if you are on the side especially like in the last three years of if you're on the side of like, eh, I don't think Akiyama should be in the Hall of Fame. You're you're out of your mind, seriously. Like, I think he should have been in just for his Noah work alone, like establishing that company to what it what it was and and like helping keep all Japan alive. Um, uh, he's won Match of the Year in 1996, teaming with Misawa against Steve Williams and Johnny Ace. Match of the Year in 2004 against Kenny Kobashi. Rookie of the Year in 1993. Tag Team of the Year twice 96 to 97 with misawa and and once in 1999 with kenikabashi so you know uh, the the readers of the wrestling observer newsletter and dave Meltzer got a lot of love for for june akiyama yeah i mean it's funny i'm just looking i'm not a, i don't really follow the observer hall of fame that much but like people that got in before akiyama uh ghetto dr wagner jr viano three ultimo guerrero Nagata, um, L.A. Park, Minoru Suzuki. I mean, it's it's a it's a visibility thing, right? Like, yeah. AJ Styles, like Akama should have been in before all these people. He should have been yeah. in for like Nakamura, like you know, Nakamura got in like twenty fifteen. Yeah, that's yeah, ridiculous. Anyways, there there's that, and then um, yeah, we're get. Let's just quickly. I have a list of his his recommended matches that I got off of a cage list cage match. And okay. these are all like eight, 8.75 or higher. 
that's what the rating, okay. the, the cumulative rating would be on average. Um, so I'm just, I'm not going to go through all of them. There's yeah. a lot here, but yeah. like for me, I'm just going to kind of like in order, I'm going to point out um, the uh, January 26, 98 against Misawa. There's a July 24th, 98 against uh, Kenda Kobashi. I recommend there's like these uh, pair of tag matches um, against with you know, the burning against the untouchables in uh, March on March 6th and October 23rd, both from 1999. Um, there's the, the, the Masawa match from 2000 that we talked about. Um, there's the, you know, the, 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 the 12, 23, 2000, uh, mm. Noah against Kenda Kobashi. Yeah. There's the pro sing zero one match. You talked about Akiyama and Misawa versus Hashimoto and Yuji Nagata from, uh, March 2nd, 2001, there's a, uh, listen, just anytime you see Akiyama versus Kobashi or Misawa as a singles, just go watch it. It's, it's going to be fucking awesome. Um, uh, March, uh, no, sorry, February 17th, 2002, Akiyama and Yuji Nagata taking on Kenta Kobashi and Mitsuhara Misawa. There's the G1 finals we talked about. There's um, uh, July 10th, 2004, we talked about Akiyama versus Kobashi. Um, there's, oh, here's a really under the radar match that I absolutely love. August 4th, 2005, Wrestle One, the first incarnation of this company, mm, yep. Junakiyama versus Katsuyori Shibata. Oh my God. Shibata just waylays Akiyama in the early parts of this match. And then Akiyama like turns the, ta- turns the tide in his favor and he nearly kills Shibata in this match. It's unbelievable how good it is yeah great match for sure um that's actually his fourth highest rated match on cage match i I, but i don't hear anyone ever talk about it yeah i mean uh this version of russell won how many shows did they run (laughs) they were kind of like a a freak show sort they ran two shows so didn't really have, I guess, that much buzz. What else was on that show? I, okay, wait, it was it was a pay per view. Was it Goldberg versus Kojima? So it was a it was a tournament. Uh, some of the matches that were in the tournament were Tenru against Murakami, uh, Giant Bernard against Bob Sapp, Kensuke against Ricky Shoshu, Akiyama Shibata, and Muto Great Muda against uh, Akebono. You say, uh, the- if you're wondering why JoJo's chuckling at the uh, thought of like in uh, what 2005 of Kensuke Sasaki taking on Ricky Choshu, there's there's a lot of reasons why. Yeah, um, and then the let, just before I uh, put this one to bed, the the opening match on the second show the next night, which is in Yoyogi, a place that you have and I, you and I have been together before. Uh, opening match is Abdullah the Butcher and Giant Kamala against Dory Funk Jr. And Katsuhiko Nakajima. That's amazing. <laughs> that's that's probably Kensuke saying, "Hey, like you know, give give my kid a opening comedy match with a bunch of old dudes." Yeah, <laughs> he needs the experience for doing things like that. Um, but but continuing on, uh, um, uh, April, April no May seventeenth, two thousand and nine against Kenta, um, October twenty third, two thousand and eleven against uh, Suwama. And uh, the the um, the 
the Kenikobashi uh, retirement match on uh, May 11th, 2013, where he's teaming with uh, Mudo, Sasaki, and Kobashi against uh, Shizaki, Kenta, Maibach, Taniguchi, and Yoshinobu Kenamaru. And then more recently, uh, July 23rd against Kento Miyahara and uh, April 25th against Naomichi Marafuji. These are kind of like the, the, the matches I would uh, urge people to go check out if you, if you want to get a great overview of the entire career of Junekiyama. Yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, a, a long history of amazing matches, maybe more than anyone else that, that debuted when he did. Um, I'll just mention too, I've said it already twice that my favorite match of all time is that, uh, July, 1998 triple crown match against, um, Kobashi. I think there's one match that sums up their relationship and the potential that Akiyama had to be, you know, on top in Japan. It's that one, that, that one, I call that match the birth of sternness. Cause it's not. You know, their tag team partners at that time, it was actually before they had won either of their tag leagues. But the aggression that Akiyama shows in that match and obviously the the fire that Kabashi has is unmatched. And then I'll throw one out that you that you uh, didn't mention, WH. There was a DDT title match last year on that list. 8.59 June Akiyama against Kazusada Higuchi. And I'm going to ask you to start your... Uh, DDT era Akiyama watch with that match. All right. I, I listen, I, I like Kazada Higuchi. I think uh, he's a DDT wrestler that shouldn't be in DDT. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. Angering many a DDT listener that may or may not be listening to this particular show. But uh, before we close out, I do want to talk about, you know, one part of like uh, Akiyama's appeal are his awesome interest themes. Okay. Mm-hmm. His first interest theme from, for, from 92 to 96, not so memorable is this is this thing called U.S. Final Battle. But from 96 to 2001 and, in, and briefly in 2006, Shadow Explosion, what a great theme. But even better, I don't know, not better. Yeah, this is this might be a, this might be contested. This might be contested. Shadow Explosion is so awesome. But yeah, up, up there with, with being really good is sternness that he uses from 2001 to, to this, to this day. And uh, yeah, I, I get it. You know what, JJ, I'm going to say shadow explosion is, is more, I just love the way it opens. Yeah, for sure. It's epic. It has, you know, it has the thing about the all Japan themes in that time, the, like the melodies are so memorable and shadow explosion is no, um, no exception. One of the cool things about his kind of DDT run is that he like, Switches back and forth between the two. He's been using Shadow Explosion more more frequently um, in DDT, um, but he does use both. Um, so that's another reason to check him out in DDT. Well, with with uh, that being said, I, I want to wrap this up. I want to thank you, Jojo. Thanks for coming on the show. I thought we had a. I thought this has been a great conversation we've had, and and uh, just an excellent look at two someone who's. A, re- a favorite wrestler of both of us, and that's Junakiyama. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. I, I remember, you know, when you were throwing around this this concept of the show, we had a conversation, and we like went back and forth about some some music you could use. And it's amazing that it took me this long to be on the show, but I'm really glad I did it. And I couldn't have thought of a a better episode to jump in than to talk about Junakiyama. I just wanted to like you know because I always knew I was going to do a biography episode, you know, mini series within the series. 
And I yeah. always knew, well, you know, the fifth person I'm going to talk about is after the four pills is going to be Akiyama. And I thought, well, who, who should I talk to about that? Like, it, it, it has to be you, you know, like, it's either you, it was either going to be you, or it was going to be either like, is it like, after you, if I couldn't have gotten you, it would have been either Alan Farrell or John Pollock. And I thought, well, like, that's good company. So that I'll is very it. good company. But like you, you edge out both those because I both those guys, because I know your love for, for Akiyama and knowledge of Akiyama is, is unmatched as is evidenced by, by our discussion here today. Uh, where can people find more of you? I know you don't really talk about wrestling that much these days on social media. Yeah, honestly, I mean, they can find me on Twitter, Jojo underscores runs, um, underscore runs. That hasn't changed, but I'm not really super active. Um, so I don't know the, I, I mean, if they want to find me, they can like look at my Wordle scores. That's pretty much, it's all, <laughs> that's all that's on my Twitter these days. I, but. I, 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 I've looked into this Wordle and I'm just like, I'm not getting sucked up into this. Oh, I, come I, on. It's I'm fun. Not, I'm not, it's, fun. it's, it's gonna, it's gonna last as long as fucking like Pokemon Go, you know, did. Then I'm just, I don't have the time. I've got, I've got, I got my Wordscape. I got on my phone that I like to play on my commute to work. I got my, my audio books and my podcasts I like to listen to like when I'm going to work. I, I don't want to put any more brain effort into this. It looks interesting. And I, and I'm, I'm amazed at how many people I know are playing this game, but it's just like, no, I I'm, I'm not getting sucked into Wordle. That being said, uh, I'm WH Park and you can find me at WH Park nine on Twitter. Um, I do talk a lot about wrestling still on there. Nothing stag down a little just because like my own interest in wrestling is is kind of has waned a little but i'm hoping 2022 will be a year that it's it's reignited we'll see um but i'll see, still be doing these these podcasts with with various uh, guests and friends uh and it, including jojo coming back in the future for sure and um yeah and then post perez cool listen to that go check out the t-shirts we have on sale at store.postwrestling.com. The, the one for this particular show, uh, the four pillars t-shirt that, uh, is, is very popular uh, and, and is worn by, uh, you know, pro wrestling torches, rich fan on, on a regular basis, it seems. And of course the post Perez t-shirt, uh, you can, you can find that as well. And, uh, all proceeds, most of the proceeds go to me. So there you go. I just being upfront about that, but, uh, yeah. Uh, any any final thoughts, Jojo, on Akiyama or in wrestling in general or anything? No, I think if uh, if more wrestlers wrestled like Jun Akiyama, uh, I think WH Park would be more interested in wrestling. So if we had more Jun Akiyamas and less Ken Chan's, wrestling would be way better than 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 it is right now, in my opinion. But yes, that that is true. But uh, on behalf of Jojo, thanks for anyone who's uh, who's listened. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. I can't see why you wouldn't. And until next time, I will say goodbye. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.